You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Hey everyone and welcome to Nerd Room. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. This is episode number 252. We're discussing Wonder Woman 84. I'm on your host, Tim. I'm Troy. I'm Carlos. And I'm Sanjay. Guys, we finally have a new movie, a new comic book movie to review. It is our first episode of 2021, and we get to do something that we haven't done in almost a year, and that is consume, digest, and review a brand new comic book movie, and that comes in the form of Wonder Woman 84, the follow-up to 2017's Wonder Woman. We've got returning Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins in the driver's seats here to take us through this sequel to Wonder Woman. Guys, welcome back to the mics. It is 2021. I hope everyone had a safe and happy new year and had a chance also to go back and listen to our behemoth of an episode, episode 251, on our look back at 2020 in nerd if you haven't had a chance to check that out guys and you want to revisit 2020 not a lot of us do but if you want to take one more dip back into 2020 head back one episode but we are looking forward in this episode we're looking at a new release we're looking at a new way to consume a new release in this home viewing experience with Wonder Woman 84 and guys this entire episode is going to be completely dedicated to Wonder Woman 84 spoiler alert right now if you've not seen the film if you're not tuned in Please hit the pause button and come back when you are able to see it. We're not going to do a spoiler-free review. We're going to unhook the guys, let everyone talk freely about Wonder Woman 84. Because I can tell you right now, there are some thoughts, there are some opinions, and there's going to be some discussion on this film. How it landed, where the high points, where maybe some of the low points in this film, and how did we all receive this. We're also going to introduce a brand new rating system to our reviews. Carlos aptly pointed out that we had somewhat of a uh, inconsistent rating system. Some of us using numbers, some of us using letters, Sanjay using random objects from the film. (laughs) (laughs) And so we're moving to a letter system. Now those letter systems will be internal, not going to be consistent across each individual, but at a minimum, they are going to be consistent in the way we grade a film. So it's going to be A, B, C, D, however you want to do it, guys. But we're going to be sticking to the letters going forward for all of our film reviews. And you know what, guys? With all that being said, with 2020 behind us, looking forward to 2021, we're going to jump straight into this review. Wonder Woman 84 spoiler tag is on here, guys. We're going to go in. We're going to talk about the development of this film a little bit. We're going to talk about our viewing experience. And then we're going to jump into that chronological breakdown of the film and dissect this thing into little pieces and have discussions about some of those, like I said, high points and potentially some of those old points for some of us throughout the podcast here. So like I said, this is a follow-up to Wonder Woman 1, if you want to call it that, Wonder Woman from 2017, building on the debut of Wonder Woman from 2016's Batman vs. Superman and then her subsequent appearance in 2017 as well in Justice League. We are going to see her in another Justice League here the not too distant future in 2021 but this again is somewhat of a prequel it is set before all of what you consider the main continuity line or time frame of 
the DC Extended Universe, going back to, to 1984, where Wonder Woman 1 was set in World War One, of course, early 1900s. Now, we're building on that. And I just want to take a moment to pause here and just reflect a little bit on the legacy of Wonder Woman. Carlos, you guys are big Wonder Woman family. You're a big fan. You've got the biggest Wonder Woman fan I have ever met that <laughs> is happily married to you. Huge Wonder Woman collector. And you guys are a family that consumes all of this stuff. But that legacy of, of number one, how does that uphold as you're walking into this? You know, the idea that that was the first time we saw a, a female superhero take the center stage of a big superhero film. Just just walk us back a little bit and kind of remind us about Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman sorry, from your perspective. Yeah, man, that first movie is huge. It's like, honestly, in the kind of modern comic book space, it's on my Mount Rushmore. It's Wonder Woman, Man of Steel, Infinity War, and The Winter Soldier, kind of mm -hmm. th those four. Those are the best representation, I think, of the kind of post-genesis uh, of the MCU as far as comic book movies go. So, yeah, that movie was something special. It's pretty universally loved. Um, the things that they did, it had just such pathos to it and such um, such humanity. And that No Man's Land scene mm -hmm. is one of the greatest superhero moments ever. And that it was, it said so many things, both overtly and subconsciously from her the fact that it's this woman crossing this land that no man yeah, can I love that. Yeah. Can overcome. And it takes this, this lady stepping out and um, putting herself out into man's world and whatnot. It's a special movie and it was a huge box office success, rightly so. And mm -hmm. you know that it can't be overstated that it overcame a ton of baggage. Like oh, yeah. you look at where the reputation of DC was and the fact that, her character launched out of um, a movie that wasn't very highly regarded in the general audience eyes, at least, and that she overcame that and that did huge box office. And it was a 50, 50 split as far as domestic and foreign was awesome. And people loved it as could be evidenced by the legs because that thing just kept going and going and going and going. And it wasn't a huge opening weekend and a massive drop off. It, had a decent opening and just word of mouth carried it forward. It, it, it was awesome. And like with one Roman 84, I, I knew that it wouldn't reach the majesty of the first one. And that's not what I was expecting, but I thought let's build on mm -hmm. some of that great filmmaking and do something that's maybe going to be a, a little less emotional maybe, or I, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but like maybe not be as heart wrenching, but uh, maybe have a little more fun, mm -hmm. get a little bit more comic booky, but at the same time, keep all those things that made that first one great as far as the verisimilitude of the world that she was building, those strong character relationships, that great eye for catching these characters that Patty Jenkins had. So that, that's kind of where I was. And uh, as far as my wife goes, it was, yeah, Diana, ride or die, man. Yeah. Like. It, it didn't matter just just needed to see this movie yeah and you know i think about when i look back at wonder woman and i even bring in the context of wonder woman 84 here i find that they've crafted themselves almost a standalone universe mm -hmm. I, I i think that they've 
you know, and maybe rightly so at the time, they separated themselves a bit from some of the baggage, as you called it. And they set this back in the early 1900s. And then they went to the 80s with Wonder Woman. I think both of these films, to be honest with you, you can walk in and they're both relatively low barrier for entry. You don't need anything before. You kind of get what is going on, especially I think even as you walk into Wonder Woman 84, that you, you my wife kept asking me, like, do I need to watch Wonder Woman 1 again? Do I need to watch it? And I, after this viewing, I was like, no, but you have to do yourself that favor and rewatch Wonder Woman 1. And and maybe it's maybe it doesn't work when you compare these two. And as we're going to discuss this, the 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 highs were very very high in one one one, and maybe not so much in one one eighty four. Now, Troy, you were nodding your head with great agreements about one 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 there, and the legacy of it, and the importance of that film when it did come out, and what it was able to accomplish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we all agree on those on those legs, great legs, both. Uh... <laughs> No, um, listen, Wonder <laughs> Woman, for me, um, my biggest entry point was the New 52 uh, run of, of of Wonder Woman. Sonny, you know what I'm talking about, obviously. Right? Yeah, like that, man. for me, uh, Brian Azzarello, uh, just yeah. is fantastic. So, for me, that set the bar so high going into um, Wonder Woman, uh, the original movie. But um, BVS, uh, say what you will. Honestly, I was really – one of my – favorite parts about VVS was um, Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman. I really liked uh, the nuance that she had, the little smile that she gave to the camera, uh, the, the dominance, the powerfulness that she kind of brought. Um, so she was cool. So she already had me excited going into the original Wonder Woman. And then once we got there, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, Carlos, you mentioned it, man. That No Man's uh, Land was... It was incredible for me. Um, I loved even just like the lens that they used. I loved like the color palette, whether it's a little Zack Snyder or not. I, I just dug it. Um, the fight choreography in that film was incredible. Good score. I think for me, the biggest weakness was probably the villains in that mm-hmm. movie. Uh, both um, Dr. Poison, I think, and uh, Ares. Yeah. Was it Ares? Yeah. Those were kind of weak. But I like the mythos that they brought there. And the chemistry between uh, Steve Trevor Chris Pine and Gal Gadot was was absolutely phenomenal because you know I mentioned that um that run that I just talked about with the new 52 Wonder Woman Steve Trevor's nowhere in that run I believe so I didn't really know their chemistry what to expect but when I saw it on film I was like this is great especially because Chris Pine is such a great actor um Gal Gadot especially at that time coming off the Fast and Furious franchise and BVS her acting chops weren't that present so I feel like having her lean on uh Chris Pine a little bit, um, really kind of just let it a little, which was great, which is something that, you know, great actors can do. And going into 84, I was really excited to know that Chris Pine was coming back. I don't know how many times I'm going to say Chris Pine. How, um, <laughs> Take a Steve drink Trevor. every time Troy says Chris Pine. <laughs> but I'm a huge fan, man. And so seeing him come back, I didn't know how they're going to do it. But man, am I ever glad that they brought him back because him was a huge, huge strong point for me coming out of this film. Again, I mentioned the chemistry and seeing just her, um, Gal Gadot and Chris, man, just jived well together. I thought those two just had a great performance all around. And I feel like her performance really elevates once he's on screen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. And I think you guys both pointed out that the setting of the original Wonder Woman being World War One, I, I, I think it it allows her to stand out a bit more. Um, mm-hmm. It's at a time when, you know, the, the globe society is at a major low and you've got this bright point, right? And I don't know if that translates as well into Wonder Woman 84. We will get into it. But Sunny Man, you're also nodding your head here about Wonder Woman 1, about the, the Azarello run, and your kind of avenue into, into Wonder Woman. I'm assuming, if I remember right, we did review this quite some time ago, but you had a, a very strong opinion about the performance and also 
how well received Worm Worm One original, whatever you want to call it, uh, was for you. No man, I hated that movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Like Wonder Woman, I have like an interesting relationship with the character because like I grew up, you know, with Batman, Superman, Spider Man, X Men, but there was no like Wonder Woman cartoon. So like my first introduction to the character, I think it was like two thousand eight, they released like this animated movie and it was super cool. Like they they did such a good job. And then when New- Troy mentioned New Fifty Two came out, um the run with Brian Azzarello. And just rereading that, it's very much a different Wonder Woman <laughs> um, than the one we see that uh, Patty Jenkins brings to screen in Wonder Woman 84. Um, and then the movie came out, um, of course, in, uh, when was that, 2017? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, man, it was, man, that movie was super cool. Like it was, it was just, it just hit all the right spots. It was, it just, it was a hopeful movie. Um, and man i loved it and i loved everything about it and you know going into this one i had high expectations and um you know um we'll get into we'll get into the like the meat and bones of it but yeah wonder woman one is like whew, it's it's up there like you may have mentioned like uh, carlos mentioned like it's on his mount rushmore for me like i went back and i rewatched all the dc films and i have this as number three uh, it's my third favorite dc film of all time like nice. i just absolutely love the first wonder woman i think it was man spectacular yeah it was it was wonderful it's definitely a standout amongst the films that you're you're shouldering it against there and i think needless to say in summary here all of us were were very impressed and excited about the prospect of a follow-up to wonder woman one with patty jenkins back in the director's chair having maybe more creative control here and more creative influence on the overall story now, as we move forward here through 2017's Justice League, and we have an announcement that we're getting Wonder Woman December of 2019, guys. And here we are in 2021 reviewing it. <laughs> that's, that's how long this has been processed. This movie was bounced around a little bit at towards the end of 2019. Then it was delayed all the way, running away from Rise of Skywalker, if you want to put it that way. Who knows if that was the right decision at the end of the day. But this was delayed out till June of 2020. And then we had the onset of the global pandemic, of course, which and then in March, theaters closed. Everything is is gone. And this gets delayed again to midsummer. Hopefully, fingers crossed, pandemic's over by then. We'll get to see this. Nope, it's delayed again to October. And then it's delayed again to the end of December. And then finally... Warner Brothers put a line in the sand and said, nope, we're going to see this no matter what happens, December 25th, 2020, over a year later from its original release date. So this movie's been done canned for probably the better part of a year and a half, two years. And what this new experience brought us was a way to consume this film at home. A brand new release, a tentpole, a major tentpole release, arguably one of the two largest films of 2020, or would have been in a in a normal or maybe in a different time stream, guys, in a multiverse time stream. We would have had one more eighty four and Black Widow competing for that top spot in the box office. But this time we got to see one eighty four in her own home theaters. It did have a limited release in some areas internationally as well as i believe in canada and the states uh, but very very limited but let's let's talk about how how we view this and this will lead nicely into a bit of a discussion around the box office and really the overall effects of having a, a film of this magnitude land 
on a streaming service and what precedence this sets and what this could really compound into down the road for streaming services. So, so Sunny Man, let's, let's hear about how, how you consume this, how you watch this and maybe contrast this to some of the experiences you've had in theaters with DC, Marvel, Star Wars films. Yeah, man. So uh, me and my wife watched this um, after the kids were in bed. You know, we uh, made a big bowl of popcorn and turned on like the the speakers and uh, we watched it downstairs. And uh, the next day, the cool thing was, because I think you got it for like, was it 24 or 48, 48 hours? 48. 48. Yeah. So then like the next day I was able to watch it again, which was kind of cool. Um, watching it in theaters, like because I missed out in theaters, I definitely feel like I missed something. Um and when theaters reopen here, I'm definitely going to go in and watch it in theaters. Uh, hopefully IMAX, if at all possible, because I think some scenes would be really cool in IMAX. Um, so I definitely feel like I missed something, though, because it just kind of felt like, I don't know, like it was like super cool that it was like this like film and, you know, it was brand new. But then it kind of felt like, yeah, but I've been watching movies in my basement, like, you know, practically every day since the pandemic mm-hmm. started. So it kind of just felt like another another friday night another i can't remember which day we watched it but another like, whatever day another friday thursday night and it kind of took away a little bit of the specialness for me um you know it's it's just uh it just wasn't the same um doesn't matter like the quality of the movie it just wasn't the same uh and i do think that um watching it in theaters you know like next year um you know hopefully everything you know is okay uh, by the time like a film like Suicide Squad comes out in August and some other big movies, so I'm hoping that you know I'll be able to watch some the movies and uh, some of these movies in theaters again because I definitely missed it, man. It was it was good, but it wasn't as good. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was it was still like it was like it was like ice cream that's just like okay. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> yeah, it's still ice cream, but it was just okay. You know, it was, it was like, yeah. It, it was definitely an interesting experience, and then pulling on pulling on my own. I, I purposely went out and bought like a sound bar and a subwoofer for this experience. <laughs> That's why I delayed so long in in watching it. I didn't watch it till last night. But I wanted to have a bit more of of a sound experience, immersive experience. And so I did the I got a reasonably large TV, lights fully out, sound on, bass up, everything to try to mimic as much as I could the theatrical experience that was meant for for this film. And I have to say, like, I, I, I enjoyed it, to be honest with you. I enjoyed being able to to watch it in my basement on my own time. And I felt, yes, I missed the experience. I missed seeing it with you guys, to be honest with you, more than anything. And mm-hmm. I, I found it to be a, a pleasant experience, something that uh, I'll definitely continue to do. And I'm going to have to weigh my options as if we ever get a chance to to pick or choose how I how I consume this. I think the, the real driver would be going out and seeing with you guys and going to have a brew and discussing it after that's a big driver for me, but ultimately I enjoyed it. But what about you, Troy? You again have been a, a big proponent and a big staunch supporter of the theatrical experience. How, how did you consume this? And, and what's your takeaway from the at-home experience? Yeah, man, with Sunny it was, um, it was okay. It was cool. I was, you know, anticipating this film quite a bit and um, yeah, man, once I checked it out, it was, it was weird. It was like, a, I was like, I skipped a step. I'm mm-hmm. so used to seeing on the big screen, and <laughs> right. then I watch it. So fr- almost felt like I pirated the movie in a way. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's weird because I'm like, this isn't right. Like this should be on the big screen. But um, once I got over that and uh, really got into it, um, 
it was okay, man. It wasn't it wasn't bad experiencing it that way at home. But it's something I'll never for me. I'll, I'll just won't get used to. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I might not have a choice down the road. It might just <laughs> be that way, right? But um, you know, it was um, it was interesting, man. It was interesting. Um, the movie. Are we are we doing the movie right now, or we're we just talking about just the experience? Just overall? the experience. But if you're Brian, yeah. you want to bring in some of the context of this particular yeah. scene or whatever that. Well, you, you know, I guess I won't really get too much into the scene, but I felt like the way the movie opened up, um, that would have been something really yeah. cool to see on the big screen. That was like meant the for the first big initial screen. scene. Yeah. yeah, that that was definitely meant for the big screen. Just seeing something like that on the IMAX. Oh my goodness, that would have been pretty cool. Um. But I guess once I got over that scene, we were led into another scene. And then I felt like, <laughs> you know, I'm watching an ad. So An ad or a, a cartoon, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much, man. But we'll, we'll get there. We'll yeah. get there. Yeah. What about you, Carlos? How, how was your experience? I know that, what was film that you guys watched? Oh, it was Wonder Woman. You'll get into it. I was trying to think because you watched it like almost two weeks ago, it feels like. And you're telling me about your experience. <laughs> so why, why don't you break it down for us? You're at home watching of this. Yeah, man. For us, it was kind of similar to you, where it was perfect. I didn't... There certainly was that little piece where you don't feel like you've left the house. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, we watched it as soon as we could on Christmas morning. Like, Christmas presents and breakfast were sorted out. <laughs> Clean the dishes. And then it's like, the blinds closed. All the phones went into a basket in the kitchen. And, um, yeah, we turned the sound up. And like here I have this brand new tent pole movie in crystal clear 4K on a nano cell TV. And it on like no exaggeration. And I'm not just playing like, you know, anti-streamer sunny, like playing the other side of this. <laughs> totally transported away. Like mm-hmm. I had I was totally in that world and got to consume the movie. And I it was so immersive and the only thought I had was man F me there wasn't anybody that took me out of this movie by pulling out their phone or talking at stupid times or doing like yeah I'm like super (laughs) sensitive to that stuff I find now and I don't know why it's because you're getting older no kidding (laughs) no it's it it has always bothered me like kind of since like the cell phone generation has kicked in or even like even before that, right? Like just people not dialing into the movie. And so the absence of that was the only thing that I thought of that was outside of what I would have experienced in a theater. Like, absolutely. It's cool to be with you guys and to see the reactions and whatnot. But um, yeah, man, like my brother had called at some point in time and none of us had any idea because we were all super into Please help me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you know, there was a chance of that with that snow we got, but uh, (laughs) it could really use your help brother. You're like, Nope. Movie time. Yeah. He would have been just as far ahead to call out for Diana (laughs) because there was just as much a chance of uh, her coming to help more than me. But uh, yeah, man, it was fully immersive. Like, totally zoned into it and uh to kind of piggyback on sunny with that 48 hour window um we watched it that morning so that was four of us on the price of the one rental and then that evening my parents came for christmas dinner and like my mom's deciding factor as to which of the kids she had christmas dinner with was like wonder (laughs) woman played into that 
because she's just like, how do I watch this Wonder Woman movie? And I was kind of explaining her it to her, and she's like, I'm too old to figure this out. She's like, are you watching it? Okay, well, we're watching Wonder Woman. I was like, it's Christmas. Yeah, but we can watch Wonder Woman afterwards. And I was like, uh, yeah, okay. And uh, so we got a second viewing in that night that's with awesome. my parents. So that's like 10 movie tickets mm-hmm. that I would have had to buy. For, so, and cool then, 200 so then, plus dollars <laughs> yeah so i watched it twice on christmas day on that one rental my wife saw it four times five times <laughs> so like man that 30 bucks canadian went a long way mm-hmm. and that first experience it was no it, it was actually better than had just my family gone like yeah the, I, i've always loved our trips out so notwithstanding that aspect yeah man yeah and like even though the way the money goes i i watched it by myself last night and my wife and i'm gonna watch it tomorrow and that's gonna get the kind of the cost ironed out but even for me that 30 dollar price point for an in-home viewing i'm okay to pay that if black widow comes out like that i'm okay to pay that 30 bucks and yeah. like my wife watched that with me too but if it's just me watching it I that's, to me that's digestible. Uh, five extra bucks or whatever it is, eight extra bucks in a movie ticket, and so it, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how this how this really unfolds too with a movie like this because reflected in the box office is the absence of the theatrical rollout. Right, this movie made somewhere along lines in the last two weeks about thirty million dollars domestically within the United States and Canada, and about one hundred twenty million dollars globally or worldwide. Yeah, so. It's made about a hundred or so million dollars, ninety million dollars internationally. So it, it's not pulling that same sort of money that you would see from a normal tentpole like this. I think Wonder Woman one made hundred and twenty million dollars in its opening weekend domestically, <laughs> and worldwide that's where it's at. And so that, that's clear. And I think, and I know, or we all know that that was going to be a direct consequence and follow from this the box office was going to be abysmal when you compare it directly to other comic book movie films of this scale but the flip side of that is the effect and and direct impact on the streaming service this is by far the biggest property to drop onto a streaming service in 2020 outpacing well outpacing things like the mandalorian soul hamilton and all that right it it has and it looks like it's had this knock-on effect with this major spike in in people subscribing to HBO Max. And the real interesting data is going to see how many people it holds on to. Like, does the library hold people? And this is one of the things that I think we're going to watch, and I'm thoroughly interested in, to see what other companies, what other studios, and how they react to the Wonder Woman experience. The subscribers it's pulled, the amount of discussion that it's got online, good or bad, and how people or the amount of people that consume this in their homes because this is going to influence decisions and it already has for WB for 2021. If we do see the inability in the next couple of months for these movies to open, a lot of these guys, and we've said it before, they can't hold on to these movies for another year. They've mm-hmm. got to start to roll them out in some capacity. One woman gives the precedence to do that and gives a blueprint and even some data to show what this could reflect as far as a subscriber increase. And so something that we're going to keep the finger on the pulse here throughout the the podcast throughout the year to see if we start to see this migrating the other way. Cause if we have another year like 2020 where the theaters are kind of open, but not showing empire and Batman 89, but nothing new, 
Like you can't have three years worth of movies in 2022. Like you just can't do it. And so what's, what is the consequence here? What is the fallout? And that's something that we're going to be, like I said, engaged on going forward here, because I think this, at least from the data and you guys feel free to comment on this. I think this reflects a relative success for HBO max and oh, yeah. long-term who knows, but this has definitely got people tuned in to HBO max and purchasing it at least for that, that month. Right. Well, and there's no, there's no accident that they put Batman, the animated series on the next day. Mm-hmm. They put the old one woman series up on there. There's a whole bunch of kind of legacy products that they um, opened up and then they've actually had some success with some of their HBO max originals. And then the other thing that people forget is like HBO has always been mm-hmm. the highest caliber boutique brand of um, premium cable. Right. So they don't put out the volume of a Netflix, but you could watch 10 Netflix originals and not hit one that's as good as an HBO product, right? Because they just go about their business differently. So hopefully that continues. And by all accounts, like if people are signing up for Wonder Woman, but discover something like Lovecraft County or uh, Raised by Wolves or The Flight Attendant, or even just like get reconnected with friends in the Fresh Prince of Mm Bel-Air, it's a win for HBO. So Mm -hmm. yeah, man, like it's like I said, it's precedent setting that you could put a tent pole on and what's the knock on effect for that. And we'll see, we'll see how 2021 unfolds here and what that does for the MCU, what that does for star Wars. And it does for these other major franchises that have pushed movies out, holding onto movies. Look, the MCU alone has six shows and four movies in the pipe for this year. Mm-hmm. They, they can't hold on to those four movies for another year, right? Something's got to fall. Eternals, I think, is one prime to fall to Disney+. Plus. Black Widow is going to be the big holdout. Do they, do they wait on that? Spider-Man 3 is going to be a big holdout. So this gives some insight to that, and it's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, I think you'll see more once WandaVision mm-hmm. kind of has a few weeks left in its run and there's that space there yeah so <laughs> there's some time there's some time so anyways guys, let's let's jump into the film here Let, let's jump into our discussion of wonder woman 84 we've got patty jenkins returning to the director's chair for the sequel with what appears to be relatively full autonomy over the film she has been given the rain the leash to walk where she wants with the character and develop the character in whatever fashion put to screen what she wanted and there's pluses and minuses to that we we've seen in influences or instances where too much creative influence from the studio side leads to a watered down film a little bit less creative control by the studio and you know you could see where where things do go and wb does have experience with that so this this movie maybe falls in the middle of that where it could benefit from a, a little bit of a hand on the shoulder. But nonetheless, Patty Jenkins is, is a highly revered filmmaker. She produced Wonder Woman. She's going to be making a Star Wars film for us, guys, which I'm super, super excited about. And I think that she was the right choice to come back and direct this film through the sequel and into the third installment eventually. You know, she is someone that, that seemingly has a good handle on the character and and then we're gonna get it. We'll get into it right now about overall where where she took this sequel relative to Wonder Woman one and that kind of revered and that success that we saw from that, and where we think it's going down the line here. But jumping straight into the movie, Troy, you mentioned this. They kick it off here back in Themyscira. We've got a young Diana. 
we've got a young Wonder Woman here competing in this this trial, if you will. And to me, what a way to start the film. It is, like you said, like an IMAX-esque type of opening sequence. You get thrown right back into Themyscira, which I really like, the Amazon. And that's just why I said, really, this feels like a standalone. They kind of do all the work again to show you very quickly where she comes from. And it really touches on and really frames some of the main themes about lying with consequences, achievement through honest effort. Truth is kind of the ultimate piece of things about how you get from A to B in a, in a holistic way. And it sets all of that up while giving us and and really providing us with a fantastic action sequence. Troy, I'm going to, I'm going to let you pick up here from what you're talking about this opening scene. it, It, to me, it's great. Do you agree with that? Yeah, man. No, this opening scene was cool. It was uh, it was a treat, and I remember the whole time watching it. I remember uh, Sunny Boy. I remember for the longest time when Sunny and I were talking about Wonder Woman, he would always mention like the trials. Mm-hmm. Of you can't remember what issue it was, but I remember you were talking about the trials. So as I'm watching, it, I was like, "This is cool. Like I'm seeing this come to life, right?" So I, hopefully it did it did Sunny here service, but uh, or justice. <laughs> but um, I thought it was really really cool. It was cool going back to Themyscira and the accents, man. The accents. I don't know if it was just me, but the accents sounded better this time around mm-hmm. than they ever have, um, which was kind of cool. And just um, I really liked the camera work that was going on. I loved seeing like young Diana, you know, just going at it. You know me with you know people coming of age and going through all these things. So, <laughs> right, right. So you know from there it's already a win for me. So I thought that was really cool. But you know what? I gotta say, like it was weird because I thought for sure, besides the cool like eagle armor, I thought for sure we're really gonna come back to the whole fact yes. of Diana, you know, going through like cheating the system and whatnot. Yeah. I thought we were really going to come back to that. And we we don't. Like, in a way, we kind of do. But you're, it almost feels like you're reaching for that for that connection as opposed to that being, like, the definitive connection to the overall story, right? So we'll get back to that, I guess, I'm sure. But um, apart from that, I think it's a wicked way, wicked way to open up. It's, it might be one of my – in the DC world, I think next to Krypton in Man of Steel, it might be my favorite opener for a DC film, yeah. I would say. Yeah, I really like this opener. It's really cool. And it does some work. And I agree with you, though, Troy. <laughs> it it was almost like we need to shoot an IMAX scene, but then we're going to kind of forget about it for the rest yeah. of the film. Exactly. Like, there's several parts where I'm thinking, okay, let's let's come back to this. And it wasn't until I kind of got halfway through my second viewing, which I was doing this evening with my my oldest, when I really listened to what she was being told and how right. I'm like, I'm trying to build the bridges in my head to what happens later on. Even yeah. the stuff with the, the God of lies or whatever, you could have built some of that into this and, and, and yes. visited that a little bit and gave us some context for the MacGuffin that we see later on and the gods. Like this is a perfect spot to do that. You have the audience's exactly. attention, drop some exposition in here to help build the bridges for later on yeah or even even mention your MacGuffin, or there needs to be more work done in this arena Mm -hmm. and and some and some context needs to be brought to the screen because like i said you have everyone's full attention here because this is a great scene my daughter was jumping on the couch for this scene not only because it's wonder woman because it's a young child it's super engaging for a younger audience to see a child competing against adults and doing really well. And so like this scene is a huge hook, but it's a missed opportunity down the road. Carlos, yeah, long man, run. Yeah. 
Carlos, man, what are your thoughts on on how we open with Wonder Woman 84? To be honest, like your statement about your daughter's reaction to it made me like it a heck of a lot more (laughs) than I did. Like this scene was grand and it was beautiful. And you have all these fierce women performing all sorts of athletic feats. But like you said, you go through the movie and it's why. Mm -hmm. And, And it's just like if you look at it as a whole and especially coupled with the 1B opening as well, mm-hmm. it just comes off as really indulgent and kind of a why. And then it also is incongruent with what they did in Wonder Woman 1, where young Diana was forbidden from training, and it's not until she's a teenager does Antiope get caught training her by mm-hmm. Hippolyta. So Right, right, right. It, like you're gonna break your own mm-hmm. in-world continuity, and I'll that. get, yeah. I'll get to that point. But wasn't like, she like only up. being trained in combat? Like th- there was no like you so can't. So she's horse. riding around on horses, shooting arrows, <laughs> performing these dives through death traps. I'm gonna suggest that's heroic well, training to be an Amazon warrior. Well, like, I mean, it's like playing hockey or playing football. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to join the army, but some of those traits are similar you know, in terms of joining the army. I think wrong podcast, Sonny. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, no, it, it, it was amazing, but it's just like, it, it's kind of why. And then the other thing too was like, so uh, she gets disqualified for taking that shortcut, but at the same time, I thought it showed that she had some ingenuity because she has this momentary lapse and she gets knocked off the horse, but then finds a way to overcome uh, the loss of ground. And so I was like, well, that's kind of commendable. So if they had done something where she like overtly cheated, thinking that she wouldn't get caught kind of thing to hammer that point home, I think it would have been easier to buy there and Mm -hmm. then also really reinforce what you went for at the end and also the lesson that she learns. And I like the speech, but then to get back to what you and Troy touched on, like, yeah, it's cool to see the challenge of, of the Amazons, but they already wrote that part out of her origin anyways in the first movie, because that's Mm -hmm. like originally, that's why Diana gets to go to man's world. Mm -hmm. She wins the contest of the Amazons in disguise and then her mother has to let her become quote-unquote wonder woman and become the emissary to man's world so you already skipped that part but now you're just doing it because you want to tick that box because you you want to showcase this scene like i think if you did like you have the young girl and you do some cool stuff and maybe it's them going on a journey to the statue of yes the golden armor and the story that you tell with the statue of the golden armor is tied into her defeating the God of lies and setting up your MacGuffin or you tie it back into the gods. Um, Yeah. You kind of shrink your world a bit. You do the Tatooine thing with Themyscira, but like, whatever, it's fine. Um, You need that because storytelling. Yeah. It's, it's, it's (laughs) economic storytelling. Exactly. (laughs) And it makes your opening more important. Because you could, quite frankly, lop off you that could. opening. Yeah. And yeah, there, man. There's like... no con. There's no con. No, look, you're right. There's no consequences. Like it's like I like the scene, 
And yeah. maybe it's, again, the influence of my daughter. And it's a beautiful scene, IMAX quality scene. But you could knock that off the front and it has no residual effect throughout the movie. No, and- because to take Diana to that consequence and to why she has to make the decision she makes at the end, you have like a whole bunch of other stuff, some which they address, some that they don't, um, that could take her to that place mm-hmm. without this scene. Well, and the, you already get there with all the Steve stuff. Like that is the driving force behind it. It's not the lessons that are imbued to her here. Even you can't take a shortcut to victory is kind of like that. The whole, it's like shown to you. You can't do that, right? You can't. Yeah, Steve or like the whole, well, you better get yourself together, honey, because the world is going to end if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's so a like, yeah, motivator too. It, nothing comes back to this scene as, as cool as it is. Nothing ever comes back. It doesn't lay the groundwork for anything down the road. Other than setting up, and again, it's built else elsewhere, this overarching theme of truth and all that. And we get that heavily in the end of the film. But you kind of get it here. Don't cheat to win type thing. Sonny, man, bring your voice into the conversation <laughs> here, brother. Yeah, man. Um, I, I dug the scene. Um, I know um, one of my biggest complaints with the first one was that they didn't include the contest because that's so like quintessential Wonder Woman origin. And I know, Carlos, like you mentioned, they kind of just wrote it out of um, her origin in the first one, but it's so like true to the character that you kind of need to add it. Um, I remember like hearing that it wasn't in the first one and just being shocked because it's such a um, important part of her origin. Now it worked that they didn't put it in, but I'm glad that they came back and reshot it. And uh, I don't know. I liked it because it showed that like, even when she was a kid, she had like powers that were above a normal Amazon. You know what I mean? Like she was, the best like as a kid she was practically able to win this race um doing all the stuff and competing with adults so you know that's super rare so to see that i thought that was cool um and then the stuff at the end with the uh, golden armor which they go to later on in the movie but just kind of showing how um you know how revered that character is uh for the amazons and um, when you find out the backstory of her you kind of figure out why that is um later on in the movie but it's again to me it's another missed opportunity here it's like you have to you have to put this thing on a pedestal so when she puts it on you're like holy shit she put it on right but they did have it in a pedestal yeah but it it was like in the back of the scene all blurry like you the only reason and the only reason you knew what it was is because you saw it in the trailers like if they never show that in mcfarlane action yeah if if you don't see that in the the trailer team was in on that they knew they're like yes we need to put this friend in center but but you don't if you don't see that in the trailers on the action figure when she when she loads up with it later on you have no idea what that is right mm-hmm. like the only well, re- no, like, because they have the cutback scene where they show her uh holding off fighting. the armor oh yeah i guess they do yeah, but still i don't know they just to me it just doesn't have <laughs> i guess you're right but it just to me it's the importance <laughs> isn't there but maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I only got one viewing <laughs> in, guys. But as we progress the film, well, let's talk about this this next scene. Mm-hmm. The mall scene. The 1980s. <laughs> Look, I didn't grow up in the 80s. I was born in the 80s. But this cartoon world that is created with really bad wigs on everyone, this like outrageous outlandish 1984 that they've created mid-Cold War. We've got Biff Tannen. Maxwell Lord on the screen telling everyone that you don't have to work and you got kids stealing stuff and Wonder Woman coming out and kicking cars and doing all this this stuff. This felt like, and I had to put it in the DM today, guys, this felt like a tie-in commercial, this whole scene to me. And 
I, I, I don't like getting negative off right off the hop here, but this scene, I was right out of the film. Like from the four dudes that are like TMNT 1980 burglars <laughs> right out of the cartoon. And the the lasso stuff felt funny to me. The way it was shot, like it, you could, I could feel like I could see the string she was on and how wooden <laughs> she felt through all this. It, it just didn't work for me. And guys, this is the first time we see her in costume. We don't see her in costume for another hour after this in this film. And so to kick it off in this way with the major winks and like, hey, I thought she was going to hold up a bag of Doritos and open it at the end and stick her <laughs> hand in and take a bite and say, mmm, cheesy cheddar is great in the 80s. Like, I, I, I'm sorry, but this scene did not do the character of Wonder Woman any justice. You go from this opening epic to this goofy cartoon ad uh, Troy, I know you're feeling the yep. same way here, man. Like, hundred percent. Like, when you're oh. watching this after this this big Themyscira epic, yeah, man. How does this frame out the movie for you? Oh, it's it's, it's huge, massive disappointment with this scene. Um, I was about to check right out. I was like, no way. There's no way this is the direction we're going because, much like you, I thought it was an ad. I thought this was just a commercial. Um, the goofy, over cartoony like villains. I was yeah. like, you got to be kidding! <laughs> no, for two seconds actually, when it when it opens up with like the '80s look, like that that Back to the Futures, I was kind of like, oh, this is kind of neat. Like, kind of makes like the the '80s feel like that time where it's meant to be futuristic. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. for two, I kind of like that. Me. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. They they had me, and then when the robbers came in, I was like, whoa, wait. <laughs> What's going on? Definitely a commercial. Definitely a commercial. <laughs> and when um Diana gives like the little girl a wink and she throws him into like the stuffed yeah. animal or whatever, and yeah, like you like the lines of her jumping up and down, like you feel like she's on a cord, and it was so so bad, so <laughs> cheesy. It it was like like Amazing Spider-Man Two is one of my worst Spider-Man movies of all time, and this kind of felt worse almost than that rhino scene with spider-man like i was like this is borderline oh, and there's a lot of there's a lot of amazing spider-man 2 kind of sprinkled in this film and, and we'll get there but um this was bad man this this definitely should have been cut out like i feel like this had no business being in the movie and like you mentioned like we don't see diana till like yeah like an hour after well wonder woman for like another hour and yeah. like you know other films and other comics like i'm reading daredevil right now and like he's not in the costume and i'm like this is cool. Matt Murdock's really, really interesting. Or like, I can't remember. Is it Spider-Man 2? Yeah, Spider-Man 2. We get a lot of time with Peter Parker. And like, he's interesting. Even even The Dark Knight Rises, which I don't really like. You get a lot of time with Bruce Wayne. And like, it's interesting. You um, leave The Dark Knight Rises out of it, Troy. Hey, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm giving it some props right now. I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying. But this, I, this, this wasn't interesting at all. Like, Diana right here for the next hour, not being in that Wonder Woman suit. I'm really looking and counting the beats. Like, when is she going to put on the costume? Mm-hmm. Which doesn't really happen often. For me, I think that's kind of like the red flags when you know, like, a superhero film is kind of lacking when you just want them to throw on the suit. Yeah. Throw on the suit. Well, uh, and that's where I was. Like, I literally paused it when she put on the suit. And that maybe the advantage I had watching this at yeah. home. Because I want to know how long it was. It's crazy. It was, it was like an in, hour or something. It was, it was over. It was an hour and two minutes between yeah. her doing that mall scene and the Cairo scene later on. Which right. blew my mind. And the funny part about that that this scene too is is it doesn't do anything for the character of Wonder Woman. I don't think. Like personally, to me it subtracts from the work that they did in Wonder Woman. Yeah. And even the work that they did before. If you wanted to make this a Diana film and not 
explicitly a Wonder Woman film, do that. You don't need this scene. Chop this scene right out too. Yeah. And go straight yeah. into her being like even the, the when we get further down the line when she saves Barbara, right? And she's not in costume. And you could play this off too, she's hiding a bit, right? Um, and then you have like the, the cheesy anchor being like, We don't even know who did this. It's this woman. <laughs> yeah. It keeps saving like and I was like, yeah. who is this reporter guy? <laughs> I and, and the other and the other thing, like I don't I don't really even care so much too about like um like continuity and like the whole grand scheme of like the DCEU. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure, right? Like when we get to BBS, like Wonder Woman's been like missing, right? She's yeah. been kind of hiding. And they kind of dress so up many... with her chucking her crown at the cameras and all that stuff. But. Oh yeah. 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 Shoot. Yeah. I guess that's right. Yeah. But... Cause she breaks the cameras, the evidence. Right. But I, I guess for me, it's like, you know, we haven't seen Wonder Woman in a while and you want to, you want to, you want to have like that kind of cool moment to yeah. show off Wonder Woman and what she's capable of, and what she can mm-hmm. do and seeing it on these wasted bebop and rocksteady villains yes. is just like man oh, especially really. the old dude with the glasses and all that yeah. like and they're like yeah. nah! like this like over exaggerated yeah. facial and expressions and, 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 and going for the kid I, I just felt it so over the top like we're gonna go for the kid and try and throw it over 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 the balcony i'm like really like that's what you're gonna do and like the, the way he fumbled the gun out and all this ah carlos yeah. jump jump it's into goofy. this man like <laughs> i don't know if this is gonna be a pile save on or not scene, carlos save the scene <laughs> man so, uh, I will like. I loved the way Diana looked in this scene, mm-hmm. like just the way she was lit and the way the costume mm-hmm. went. And I actually liked her kind of going up and down and doing a bit of the Spider-Man stuff. I didn't mind that at all. But man, like, I can't keep it in. Like, this movie is full of Patty Jenkins indulgences, and this was just she wanted to make an eighties movie and it's like, okay, that's cool. But there's a way to do a 1980s movie in a, for a contemporary audience. But this, like this tongue in cheek, like super campy, like if we have any listeners and if they know anything about me, they know I hate Batman forever. And this was like that freaking safe scene in Batman forever with the security guard. I couldn't believe it. Like, the the cheesy robbers like <laughs> winking at the camera mm-hmm. and the over the top acting and then i read a tweet from patty and she's commending the stunt people who she had take on these speaking parts as the robbers and i'm like are you kidding me like you did this on purpose and like i didn't mind the stuff with the little girl and the teddy bear and whatnot but you can't have all of it like you can't have the the people in wigs eating these huge burgers yeah, and uh, like the robbers was the main thing and like the old guy with the Stan Lee glasses yeah. be, like <laughs> don't do it don't no that's my hearing aid like <laughs> man and, and same thing like it totally took me I was just like oh no oh no like <laughs> yeah. what are you doing like red flags one woman looked incredible in these I scenes. agree with you there I agree she looked but, good yeah. Like everything around it was just, it was so over the top. It felt like, what's that TV show? The Goldbergs. (laughs) The the set dress. And like, I love the little things at the beginning, but then it just became too much. Like the car that's going to hit the joggers and with the Maxwell Lord stuff interlaced. That was cool. And the kick, beauty. And you're going to kind of, I don't agree that she, that Patty should be, in a bit of jail because of dialogue that Zack Snyder used, but that she's 
going to kind of play on that a little bit, that's cool and good on you for trying to put yourself in this bigger narrative. But then it just keeps going. And you have like the kids stealing the sunglasses mm-hmm. and pushing the lady over. And I'm like, oh man, I'm waiting for the like the Otis music cues from the old <laughs> Superman movies to kick in. Like, dun, 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 dun. like hey, Miss Luthor. Like, <laughs> I detested this scene. Like, yeah. Okay. And so- it, it's just so indulgent. And it's like, you know better. Well, and if I have, it's just like, this is where studio notes come yes. in real handy. Yes. But you know that WB was like, no, we said you could do this movie your way and make your film. And we're going to have a two and a half hour movie with this being the time you see Wonder Woman in costume and you don't get it again for an hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not, not, a, not a great way to kick off things, I'm going to say. Over to you there, Mr. Luthor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the thing, too, about period pieces that I love is when they oh, nail the aesthetic of it, right? That's yeah. that's a benefit you have of doing a period piece is that you can use visual cues to tell parts of the story. This doesn't do that. Like, if they had to stop with the, the Biff Tannen, Maxwell Lord thing, mm-hmm. like, I, I really like that part. I was like, okay, I, I can dig that. I, I get where they're going with this. Back to the Future, 1985, Biff Tannen. At least that's my what I was taking away from it. But then, yeah, it just keeps going and going and going. And Sanjay, do you do you want to keep this going? Like we got. <laughs> well, I'll start with some good from the scene. Um, I did like the part where she knocks out the cameras with her um, tiara. I like that they keep the continuity where you know she wa- they think that she walked away from humanity for like a century, when in fact she's been kind of behind the scenes helping out because she just can't help it. Um, I did like that part, and um, you know I'm uh, I do like Christopher Reeve's Superman movies, and um. You know, this Superman felt very three in particular. Yes, this, <laughs> the, the this opening felt of like... Superman three. Yes, exactly. Because that's what this was. <laughs> this was the exact opening of Superman three. <laughs> Unfortunately, it wasn't shot in our hometown, so I couldn't like <laughs> walk by and have at least be like, "Oh, hey, I work there." <laughs> uh, moment watching this one. Um, first time I watched it, pretty jarring. Um, pretty jarring. You're coming off the Amazons, and um, you know it's you, jarring you know... when Sanjay says it's jarring. <laughs> yeah. And you see the first one. And you're kind of like expecting the tone and then this jumps in and then you're just kind of like taken back. Um, but I will say the second time I watched it, I knew it was coming and it kind of like softened the blow where I kind of just like went with it. Cause I was like, okay, like we're going to go into this. It's not going to be like, um, uh, like the first film or like, you know, as, as serious as the first film in the scene. So I, I was expecting it and I enjoyed it more, but I still think like they could have improved the scene. Um, as you guys mentioned previously, like it just was a little bit over the top for me. Um, you know, it, it was very like with the, I mean, she throws like the robber and he's on like the, the like drum and he's like kind of like twirling her around. Yeah. What was, was like, that? <laughs> yeah, man. It was just, it felt too much, too much physical humor for me. Like one scene, one time. Okay. You know, whatever lighthearted tone for it um but this was definitely like probably my least favorite scene in the movie mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. The, the, i agree with you fully and the hard part is it's your, it's your first scene of the movie like to me you go themiscura straight to this next scene that we're going to talk about here and that's diana working in the smithsonian and following her through her kind of quote-unquote lonely life and 
I, I found it a bit on the nose when she's sitting at this cafe by herself and you got this guy coming collecting all the like six glasses off the table and <laughs> you got this beautiful woman just sitting by herself and like and so the the thing that that kind of keeps coming up is in in this space too is the idea of beauty and all that i found was was something that kind of stuck out to me and this is where this character barbara comes in i keep it's barbara minerva yeah i keep thinking minerva is yeah. from from <laughs> captain marvel <laughs> but <laughs> we, we as as we kind of frame out what diana's life is like she's living somewhat of a solitary life living by herself working at the smithsonian and all this um there's kind of a cool image there of her and what was her partner's name in the first one as an old lady oh edda edda yeah edda, edda marcus Brandy. there um Ed marcus is that right candy candy candy, candy. Um, where do you get marcus from i don't know that's from something i can't remember it might be yeah it's someone i know <laughs> um, oh. shout out to Ed marcus <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i met her once i met her once at my wedding uh she was a family <laughs> friend <laughs> but uh so so we get kind of some context as to to what diana is doing and the thing that i like about that and why i think you could remove that mall scene and and juxtapose this to themiscira is you kind of go from this grand down to where diana is now and i think you kind of get this this nice yin and yang juxtaposition against what she trained as to how she's living now. Mm-hmm. And I think that would have been really cool because I do like these framing scenes with Diana and with Gal in this in this role again. I think she's she's great. She shines for me in this. Um and I agree with you, Troy. I think she does better sometimes when she does have Chris Pine uh to to bounce dialogue off of. But in this I really like this and, and kind of this helps frame out Barbara. This help frames out this character that we are introduced to here at the Smithsonian as well. This nerdy, clumsy, socially awkward, unassertive sort of person. Um, I, I I gotta say here though, guys, this this feels like somewhat of a of a comic book movie trope that we've gotten into again that we're spiraling into is we've got our dude from Iron Man Electro. three. We've got our Electro. We've got yeah. our Catwoman from Batman yeah. Returns, and or Jim Carrey in Batman Forever. There you go. Keep, yeah. keep going back keep, to that movie. Keep going back there, thing. man. And <laughs> you know, I, I like this character, and I'm I'm just completely brain farting on the actress's name right now. Kristen Wiig. Kristen Wiig. I I like her in this role, but there's aspects of the the vanity of wanting to be the beautiful woman that I don't think serves kind of this overall narrative very well. And I'm not sure I understand fully Barbara in this movie. And maybe you guys can help contextualize this with about with me or for me so that I can understand this a bit more. Carlos, walk me through the introduction of Barbara from your perspective here and some of the early development we see her in or some of yeah. the early development we see her go through here. Yeah, to be honest, like Kristen Wiig's performance in the role, I thought was one of the stronger mm-hmm. pieces. We just needed more of it and to allow it to breathe. But they're doing so many other things that she kind of gets cut short. But we we kind of talked about those that nerdy hero worshiping side kicky best friend who's looked past type of type of role, be it Jamie Foxx or Jim Carrey or Michelle Pfeiffer kind of thing. Uh, for me, by far, Kristen Wiig's Barbara Ann Minerva was the best. She seemed to actually have a life 
and she seemed to there was a realism as to how she was being treated by the people around her. So I actually felt sorry for her mm-hmm. in that she was a genuinely nice person who did uh, the best with what she was given, but just wasn't afforded the respect that she probably deserved. And then that was a bit of an 80s thing. Like, I think people were just kind of dickish back then, <laughs> to be honest with you. So I, I think it's fair. Like, that's why everybody loved Michael Jackson, because he was like the only gentleman around kind of thing back then. <laughs> um but, uh, yeah, it, that was kind of fair, but I think there was a better way to utilize her as the movie goes forward. I think she started off really strong and it was believable. And they did a good job kind of setting up why she would wish to be like Diana. Um, it, it just needed a bit more time to breathe, I think. But, yeah, I didn't completely mind where they went with her and how they got her to where she needed to go. They just needed to make some decisions. Yeah. And I I get the sympathetic end and I agree with your statement about, you know, you can knock off four or five of those characters we've seen before and Mm -hmm. she's probably the best. And I think that goes to Kristen Wiig, right? She plays that role and then transitions into the next part of her character. I think more elegantly than they've done in the past with these characters. Like she seems to move from there and it's a believable step in the way that, that Kristen Wake portrays her. Mm-hmm. But, well, cause she's not fully confident in it. Like she doesn't embrace it right away. Yeah. It's not uh, a switch where she kind of goes through this progression as these things are happening with her, which was an asset to the development of the character mm-hmm. for sure. But I just, I, there's something about it that just bothered me. And I, I don't know if, I just felt it was too tropey and like they could have done something else with this character, with this villain and, and had her been, I don't know, anything like a direct competitor of, of Diane's in the anthropology world or have her be more of a stronger character. And I, and I get that later on she needs to lose something and that is her, her humanity, her kindness that she does lose at the end. And I understand where they have to go with that character because of the MacGuffin that they set up. To me, there's way more room to move with something like this. It can sidestep some of the tropes that you do see in other movies. And this direct one here where you take the gla- literally take the glasses off and she's a beautiful woman. Yeah. Well, honestly, the way you sidestep that is she takes the screen time and that role of Steve Trevor being Diana's partner. Because mm-hmm. there's versions of the fall of Barbara Ann where she's kind of Diana's best friend, but she- Diana's or not even Diana's like Wonder Woman's best friend and she's um, a scientific asset to Diana and the military or humanitarian groups that she's working with and then through circumstances she ends up submitting herself Mm -hmm. to a bit of a a quote-unquote god and becoming subjected by them and taking on the powers of Cheetah because she wants to be more like Diana but they didn't go down that road, right? No. But I think no. you could have done something pretty special where, like, as we talk through it, like, one of the coolest things I thought in this movie was when they showed Diana's pictures, and you kind of mentioned, like, Etta Candy as an older woman, and there's that mm-hmm. picture of her liberating the concentration camp mm-hmm. with that same group, and then um, the, the sniper fellow, I think there's a picture of his wedding and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. If you open the movie through the credits and you do, I hate to say it, but X-Men Origins Wolverine, yeah. where you take Diana through all these world events and show Amazing. what she was doing. Like, 
Diana in World War II, I think, is a pretty powerful story. And you could put some Easter eggs in there with old DC Comics characters that might speak to why she wasn't in the news type of thing because she was battling on Monster Island and with the Unknown Soldier or Sergeant Rock or what, whatever and do really cool stuff in this montage. Um, might not be coming of age, but it's Troy's other favorite tropes. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and then and then you take her, and I think it's pretty beautiful if you show that immortality thing where all her friends and all these people she's worked with have kind of died, and then you get Barbara as yeah. her first real friend, and she starts working with her again, and then she has this downfall, right? Like, I don't know. I, I think there's there's a way to work it, Troy. Do you do you see Barbara as as an asset to the film? And her early introduction and early development. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, shoot! After that, that little breakdown of Carlos, man, yeah, I got nothing. I love it. Like that, that was dope. <laughs> no, for me, honestly, I felt like um, Barbara was just something to punch at in this movie. When it's <laughs> yeah. all said and done, to be honest, because like she wasn't going to go toe to toe with uh, with Max there, right? I mean, he he wasn't a combat dude. He wasn't a fighter, but. Um, I feel like Kristen Wiig was cool. She was okay. She she didn't blow me away. I, I feel like pretty much most of the actors outside of uh, Pine and Gal Gadot were great with the material they had to work with. Mm-hmm. Like nobody really phoned it in. It's just the dialogue, the writing wasn't the best thing. And and much for uh, for Chris, Kristen Wiig, I feel like she was a better version, I guess, of Electro. But I guess at least going back to like Electro and Riddler and Michelle Pfeiffer, I just like more of like the sped up version of their origin speeding up mm-hmm. like i just like the fact that they kind of jumped from like um selena to catwoman as opposed to like with uh with barbara here we have her going to like a weird wonder woman to then eventually becoming cheetah and i felt like that second step becoming cheetah was messy and kind of weird and just out of nowhere like she wanted to be what was it an apex predator yeah it was just kind that of like a drop line me, we got to get her in the cheetah outfit yeah we got to get her yeah we got to get her in the cheetah like skin and i was just like really like that that's kind of weird because they were kind of taking her time with her like i like the fact like as opposed to uh max crazy max in um amazing spider-man 2 um here we actually got like some of her like um her like you know her, her feelings her actually being like a nice person caring mm-hmm. for like the homeless like those things like those aspects is like hey this is pretty cool so when she does become bad you you feel it a little bit more as opposed to mm-hmm. some of these other villains yeah. but again it's just a trope that we're going i'm like really like it's 2020 well i guess when this was made what 2019 we're, we're, we're still beating those same drums i was just like like those same beats why why are we doing this i thought we've evolved from that kind of storytelling so and that's what i was saying about like you could have done something else with those characters i just felt definitely like, and especially definitely. with the like creative I, behind this and all that I'm like, do, we, yeah. do we have to go here yeah and that's why i really like carlos's approach whether we just had a movie of just barbara the whole time or whatever just taking our time more with this character kind of like basically what dr strange is going to be doing with um with Armandu, right with um julia edgerford's character oh yeah uh, oh Jumanu? Yeah, uh, uh, Mordo. Mordo, right, right, right. Like, obviously, we're going to get that build-up to him becoming a big bad, right? So this was a little Green Goblin-ish, a little little Electro for me. And um, I guess we'll get to the effects a little bit later. But going back earlier, I really did like uh, seeing Diana on her own. Yeah. Um, her acting chops there was kind of cool. The the writing, like, the, the setup around her was a little weird because, like, hey, we get it. It's on the nose, like you mentioned. But I did like seeing, um, like, the pictures of, like, her fellow mm-hmm. friends because – they did such a good job in the first movie that when they're gone now, you really feel like there was a journey there. You feel the weight of them missing, which was something pretty cool because it's, it's actually their cast was actually even better than 
the uh, the first Avengers. Like I actually felt more for these guys than like the Howling yeah. Commandos. Right. So when yeah. they're missing in action, you're kind of like, OK, yeah, like I, I feel for her. So her Diana's character, where she is right now and where she goes to making that wish, I actually really believe it more so than Kristen Wiig's wish trying to be on the same level mm-hmm. as uh, Diana. Well, yeah. and like much to your point through about the Howling Commandos and, and Wonder Woman one is mm-hmm. I think you are missing a strong secondary supporting cast in this film. Mm-hmm. And Barbara, Kristen Wiig could have provided that where you do have that person in the chair if you want to call that the people that are behind her and are moving the story along and doing kind of those tasks that maybe need to be done in the background you get some of that from barbara like she does the Mm -hmm. investigation to find more about the stone but having that character progress all the way through the film and then you have to find yourself like you said try something else to punch at Mm -hmm. but ultimately yeah you you are missing those those three howling commandos if you will i'm sure there's a a proper dc name for those (laughs) But ultimately, those guys are so good yeah. that when Diana's not on the screen, those guys really pick up the slack around it, right? Definitely. And I, there's not that you do get a little later on with Steve and a bit, but but not to the same extent you got with those other guys. That that's much uh, so much larger, and you're missing that Ed of Candy as well, right? Yeah, yeah. In that context, Sonny, you you are a big fan of of Ed of Candy and of the Howling Commandos in Wonder Woman one. Uh, what are your thoughts here on, on kind of the absence of that and then pulling into some of the context here uh, of Barbara and her, her progression early on in the film? Yeah, um, you know, Carlos brought up a good point about the montage because, you know, the pictures were really cool. I set, set up her losing all her friends, but they're very brief. Um, you know, you, you'd have to really look for them to kind of see the backstory behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they were more in front of the camera, I think that would have been a good idea. Um, in regards to Barbara, you guys mentioned like characters like um, uh, Aldrin Kiliage mm-hmm. from Iron Man 3, um, Electro, Amazing Spider-Man 2, Jim Carrey's Riddler. The thing I liked about Barbara Ann is like she's similar, but she doesn't get spurned by the hero. You know, if you watch all those movies, they turn evil because the hero rejects them. And here, Diana's her friend. You know, she takes her, she takes her by the hand. She's the one who picks up the papers with her. She shows her like some humanity and, you know, she shows her like they go out for like supper and they become genuine friends. Um, They could have easily just had like Diana just been another person that was just too busy, you know, and just walked right by. And then she would have been like, ah, you know, you know, like, like Iron Man three, like the whole villain gets mad because he gets spurned on new year's and he's like up at the roof and he's like, I'm going to turn evil now, you know, but where's Same this as one? syndrome in the Incredibles. Right. Yeah. Syndrome as well. Whereas with this one, Diana's not a dick to her, you know, she's just like, yeah, man, I'll be your friend. So I really dug that. And, you know, I dug the relationship and I definitely hope to see it continue on in the next one because we'll get to it later on because um, at the ending there, but, Man, I thought Kristen Wiig was tremendous. I think she's a tremendous actress. Um, there's something about comedians that play the bad guy that just works. I don't know what it is, but you look back at like Robin Williams, he could always play the bad guy. And Kristen Wiig is funny as hell. Um, but when she was cast as a villain, people were like, I don't know if she could pull it off. But I was like, no, man. Funny, funny actors and actresses always are awesome villains, right? Mm-hmm. And so I knew she would kill it, and she crushed it in this. So, um, man, I, I loved it. Like, I just, I don't know. I just really dug her character. Like you can see the progression of just like her confidence growing. And, um, you know, as she like gets more of Diana's powers, you know, she doesn't, she loses her like humanity 
um, you could say. So I, I kind of dug that. And I know, Tim, you were mentioning about all the guys, like, um, kind of just being like horn dogs in the film or whatnot, <laughs> or just not good people. Um, but I don't know, because, like, if you look um, at it, um, her friend, the other homeless guy who wasn't, um, <laughs> you know, the, the one homeless guy, the nice homeless guy, uh, he was there. And just like at the party scene, guys wouldn't even like creep on her they would just be like hello and then she would just like reject him immediately because she was just not ready you know to like uh embrace like other friends you know what i mean like well i think at that party though like that's a head turning and like the cat calling and they're like i'm not like there's some offline about like (laughs) i'm gonna take you somewhere like (laughs) i I mean that's in like every movie but like one guy just said like hello and then she was just like no thank you yeah right like she was just like and then she was just like I mean, I'm not saying, like, I, I, you know, I'm not saying, like, I don't know what, like, uh, like, you should, like, just, oh, just go and talk to him, um, you know, but I'm just saying, like, he wasn't, like, creeping or anything, right? It, it just, I think they're trying to show um, that she just wasn't interested in anything, and then, um, you know, when she said, no, thank you, the guy took the hint and then didn't pursue, you know, didn't continue on. But that's, so that's, I think... that's showing you that, like, she was invisible when she looked a certain way. And now that she looks this way, she's visible, right? Like oh, that—that that is the Woman. point of that scene. <laughs> I was talking about Wonder Woman, like, oh. uh, uh, <laughs> I you talking about just Barbara. like when she was at the party scene, when uh, some guy would just say hi, and she would just say no because she was shut off from like anyone else. And then you see it come full circle at the end um, with the other guy. So to me, um, I, I, sorry, I was, I was talking about Wonder Woman with uh, Cheetah. Um, yeah, man, I don't, I don't, I'm not too sure. Um, I can't pull any examples, but her one homeless guy who was the friend who she gave the food to, um, you know, he was like, seemed like a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, I think, and I think the through this discussion here, one thing that has helped me a bit with it is that I can appreciate more of the early development of the character and what Kristen Wiig does. I agree that Kristen Wiig is a bit of a standout in the in this and the work that she does early on here. She nails the character. I just somewhat, sometimes question the purpose of the character overall um, is maybe the best way to put it. Now, as we go through this, Barbara is used to introduce our MacGuffin here, our stone, our gem, Aladdin's lamp, whatever you want to call it. And... And I understand here, guys, that this is going to sound hypocritical, but from an MCU guy that followed five or six stones around for 23 movies, <laughs> um, this one here, I I struggle with a bit because I think if they had took a little bit of a step back and tied this a bit deeper into the roots of the gods like they'd kind of do eventually, I didn't know what this thing was doing for most of the film. I didn't quite get, like, I got the idea you wish for something and you have to give something up in return. But once we get down the road with with Maxwell Lord, which we'll touch on here in a few minutes, and him becoming it and the what was coming back from this MacGuffin as far as the wishes and, and how he was controlling things, I never quite understood the MacGuffin. Like, I, got, I get the basics and maybe that's all you need from this is that you wish for something, it comes true in, in some way, and you have to give something up, the thing that means the most to you. And Diana, it's her powers. Barbara, it's her humanity. 
Maxwell, I'm not exactly sure. I think just health. Health, just health I, I guess. Yeah. But Sonny, what's your thoughts on the MacGuffin in here and, and how it's used in the film to create what is eventually a pretty wild and broken planet? Yeah, man. Um, I thought they did like a pretty good job setting it up because like if you look at the uh, the first scene, the one scientist was like, oh, I wish I had a coffee. Then he gets a coffee and he takes a sip and he goes like, ah, too hot. So then you kind of know, okay, like this thing is legit. It'll grant you a wish, but it'll take something from you. Like there's always a catch. Um, uh, Chris Pine, Chris Pine, Steve Trevor says, um, you know, it's the monkey's paw for example. So everything that you wish for comes with like a, um, w- with a price to pay, you know, it's kind of like pr- uh, pet cemetery, you know, <laughs> yeah. you can get like a wish, but it's going to take something from you. And so like, did they set, like, could they have set up more? Yeah, maybe like how it worked, but it's like, who, who created the infinity stones? How did they get there? Why does having five of them make you kill half the people when you snap your fingers? Like, I don't know, but it works. So you just kind of go with it. With this one, it's like, okay, here's the setup. You got the stone, you make a wish, it'll grant it, but it'll take something worse from you. And you just kind of accept it and move on. And that's kind of what I did. Well, and, and I think that's fair. And I think these movies at times, you have to ask the audience to do that. And like I said, it, it seems very hypocritical of me to, to criticize <laughs> this in a way because like, like I had no issues with the Infinity Stones. Again, it took 23 films to get to the snap, 22 films, whatever it was. But... But ultimately, this one, maybe what I'm asking for is more of a more deeper tie to Wonder Woman, to Themyscira, to the Amazons, to the gods even. And we get this in a few drop lines, right? Where she drops it and she has you know her breath taken away almost literally. And it's from the gods. And there's just this little drop thing about what sounded like very apt description of Loki. And... I just maybe wanted more out of it and maybe just accepting it. Maybe I'm asking too much out of it that there had to be a deeper connection. And maybe I'm just too in my head with some of this stuff because we've watched so many of these films, but it just felt very simple to me. And, and almost like this, this I've called it this with some, you know, with even the infinity stories, it's the power of convenience. It kind of does what you want it to do for the film, for the story. And I don't know if, if I'm if I connected fully to to everything that's going on, Carlos, help me out here a bit. Am I am I a bit crazy? Am I a bit uh, off my rocker here, thinking that this MacGuffin is maybe it needed more? Uh, ish. Like I, I think I sit firmly between you and Sunny. Um, I'm kind of with Sunny that it doesn't need like a greater connection. Uh, to her lore or to be tied to something else or um, to have like this massive backstory to it, but it needs one, which where I come back to your side of the house in that they didn't do any work to set it up or to lay the rules as to how it works and to kind of overtly set out um, the fact that you make a wish and that it takes something from you and it it kind of slowly gets into that like when diana starts losing her powers mm-hmm. is kind of when you first really realize that but to your point like i think more work done at the front end 
and then also kind of showing what Max's motivations were a bit um, without the reveal at the end or giving up the reveal at the end would have done a world of good. And you could have simply done that by, like, it was cool to see Sanjay's character or cameo when he explains what the stone is all about later on in the movie when he pulls out <laughs> his book and stuff. And that, that, that's, like, cool for the show and stuff. But Yeah, man, if you just, <laughs> Yeah, if you just had Sanjay working at the Smithsonian and yeah. up front, they, you have some people dismissing this as, uh, like, a a piece of junk and a rel- and a mean nothing relic, but they explain what it's all about. And Diana maybe knows the danger of it, but can't do anything to mm. get rid of it because it's FBI evidence. And you do that little piece of work there. The whole movie is stronger because then people know what the stakes are. And you kind of get to the end of the movie and you don't really know why Maxwell Lord is so dangerous. Well, and that's the thing. Like, and they they kind of do a little work setting up how how he knew about it, but to be like, it's just a few drawings. Like, he was meant and made out to be this major con man, but how mm-hmm. did he know about this thing? Yeah, and Diana doesn't. Who's and she doesn't. To... And and Barbara doesn't. Yeah. Right. Like, how does he know about this? And like. Even spinning it, he spent his fortune trying to find this, and this is why the company's in this state. I, I yeah. don't know. Like to me, there's just not enough work done. I think maybe you you put better words into my mouth. Not enough work done at the start for me to appreciate the the rest of the MacGuffin and what's going on in the film. Now, now Troy, MacGuffins here. You know, we have them in every single comic book movie film. We followed stones. We followed anything really. What is your what is your opinion here on how this is introduced and how it's used throughout the film? Yeah, for me, um, it's not so much how it's introduced; it's how it works later on that really, mm-hmm. really kind of bothered me. Um, I didn't need like a textbook on the whole thing, but I just felt kind of like the whole power set is like one; it's easy; it's really just an easy plot device throughout the <laughs> whole film. Um, that really bothered me, and then just the whole like simplicity of like, okay, well, Maxwell Lord like comes upon this stone and now he can just basically become what's the red genie Jafar. Yeah. He's now Jafar, right? Throughout <laughs> the rest of the film. And I was just like, okay, like, again, this is something that we've seen before. It's just like these tropes, man, again, over and over, like we've seen them a thousand times, whether you read comic books or whether you just, you just watch TV in general, we're, we're just seeing them all pop up in this one film. And, um, it was just a weird choice for me just to see this villain. Again, I, I have zero backstory on Cheetah and I have zero on Max when it comes to the comics. So I don't know how he works in the comic books. Um, I'm sure he could probably done be done a lot better when you have all these panels and issues. But for a film and being the big bad, I was just like, okay. And I, I didn't really feel the stakes, even though towards the end they were showing you like the world's basically on fire. Yeah. It still felt like okay, I'm just waiting. Even before they're like, you got to like renounce your wishes. I was like, I'm just waiting for them to just bring back the wish and it's all going to mm-hmm. go back to normal. Like, so you knew from the jump, once you introduce like a lamp, you know, at the end of the day, it's just going to be a matter of you using that lamp and reversing all the yeah. bad wishes. And I was, yeah. so from the minute that was there, I was kind of like, okay, like, you know where it's going. And that to me just kind of took me out of the film for the second time. Um, mm-hmm. But again, seeing Max, um, I guess, um, Pedro Pascal, um, his performance in the role, like it was to the best ability that he could have made it. 
but it, but the character itself was just kind of written weird. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and I, I can't remember which one of you guys mentioned it too, but it was just hard to know like where or why his whole motivation yeah. the whole time. Like why, like why is he after this? I don't know. Yeah. Well, let's pick up the thread there and keep going here, Troy with, with Maxwell mm-hmm. Lord, because he's, he's our, our focal point main villain in mm-hmm. the film. And you've got the black gold cooperative and they do a little bit of work establishing him. I like the the Biff Tannen thing up front, and then you find out he is basically a con man, and yeah. his everything is just this big facade and this big smoke and mirrors thing that he is doing. I like where they go with that with this character, and Pedro Pascal plays that that role and hams up the screen. He's got the big wig on, you know. We've got Mando here, right front and center of this film. I, I like what he does, but I agree with you. As it goes further and further, I find myself losing the character more and more. I never know his true motivations. Mm-hmm. But I like what Pedro Pascal does here. Mm-hmm. And and I like the character for that. And he gets a lot of screen time and a lot of yeah. it, a lot of development. You see some time with his kid, and you see he roughly that he wants to be successful. He's been maybe shunned in the past in some capacity. He has some vendetta against people that didn't believe in him. And they do some of those flashback scenes where they show him getting in trouble from his father and that he clearly didn't have a great life and has something set out to prove. But it's it's a bit clunky towards the end. Put your put your thoughts in the universe here of Pedro Pascal in the role of Maxwell Lord and and how successful they think they are developing this character throughout the film. Me, I loved the Maxwell Lordian. He was <laughs> like honestly, he was one of my favorite characters over DC, but or not DC, but like the DC films. But he is Maxwell Lord in name only. Like this is a completely unique character that they created for this movie, which was cool. And if you're only gonna make three Wonder Woman movies and you want to burn one of her major villains, sure. But he was to Maxwell Lord as the young lady was to Cassandra Kane in Birds of Prey. You just okay. used the name. And there, there, there's no connection at all. Like, period, full stop. But I really liked the character. I love the way Pedro Pascal mm-hmm. played him. I thought he was compelling in every scene. I love that there was things going on. Like, even just small things. Like, when he has that facade on, and then the second that the elevator doors close, when he's at, his, uh, at Black Gold, and he and he just can stop smiling for the first time and take a breath. Mm-hmm. And then he has to put the facade back on again as soon as he sees his son. Um, and his entire arc was amazing to me that you kind of get this um, reveal at the end as to why he was doing all the things that he was doing and that he's not actually a villain. He's just kind of compensating in an extreme way for his circumstances. Um yeah, I, I liked him all the way through. I think work to shore up the whole Wishmaster mm-hmm. piece of the story would have really helped him out kind of thing and made his uh, story a lot stronger and a lot more compelling. And if they had kind of spelled out what his goal was, because like if it's health, he could have got that back earlier on or mm-hmm. maybe he goes and uh, targets... Um, I don't know, like Ben Johnson or somebody to take his <laughs> his health, like eighties athlete. <laughs> but 
yeah, like they needed to do a bit more work with the Wishmaster part of it. But I thought Pedro Pascal as like a character that you're going to go on a journey with was really cool and really compelling. And like, quite frankly, like his, he really did a lot to salvage the film. Yeah. For me. So, yeah. And he gets, yeah, I would, I would hazard a guess that he probably gets close to, if not more screen time than, than gal in this. He's on the screen a lot. Yeah, and he had the most interesting story. Like, they take it, and we'll get to it in the third act, but um, I I think you could have told one of the all-time great comic book movies with going either just Wonder Woman and this version of Max and the Maxwell Lordian or Wonder Woman and Cheetah. But when you Batman Forever up the whole thing, you get <laughs> Batman Forever. <laughs> Troy, man, you had some thoughts earlier yeah. about about Maxwell Lord here and Pedro Pascal in the role. Expand on that a little bit. Yeah, I just I just didn't really find him that compelling, to be honest. I felt like when we got the flashback of him being a kid, like bullied in the corner, we've seen a thousand times. Um, Pedro is obviously an amazing actor, so I mean, you can you can give him anything and he'll sell it. Um, but for me, I I. I find them kind of forgettable uh especially in the dc world where we've had some pretty cool villains like the um <laughs> i'm forgetting him now <laughs> like the uh <laughs> the general um zod. Zod. Oh, there we go general zod <laughs> so well so shoot, memorable yeah so <laughs> memorable right look at me yeah, yeah. but um no for, for pedro and again like cause, so you said he's completely he's an original character in the movie or he's just completely different from the comic Oh, yeah. He's just the name. Like, for me, it's like when you're playing with the 80s and the excess culture and the capitalism, <laughs> and then you show that this vil- this guy became a villain because he was aspiring to have those things that he could never have and were always denied to him as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, that that really struck me. And maybe because I was, like, a bit of the poor kid in the 80s, I was like, man, I, I could be the Maxwell Lord of, like, the nerd room. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, that like that really spoke to me. Like when you see yeah. him going to the school and they're making fun of what he's eating because he's eating traditional uh, Latin food, or when he's got the holes in his shoes at the prep school and the other kids are going to play. Like I don't know why I I thought that that was. It's really so compelling. far down the road though in the film. Like it's at the end of the film. Yeah, like the very end. Yeah, very end, pretty much right. But yeah. they kind of lay. I don't know. They they laid the grounds that he was a guy struggling the yeah. whole time, right? Yeah. When yeah. you have, um, when you have him greet his son and he's trying to juggle being the single dad uh, or the dad with the kid on the weekend, mm-hmm. and then he has that exchange with Simon Stagg. Awesome deep cuts DC cameo, by the way. But yeah. um, and then his reactions to mm-hmm. the names that Stag calls him yeah. just in passing, like in the, that they're so over and then that he says them in front of his son. And then he goes yeah. and he's trying to erase that from his son's mind. And, you know, he, it's almost like he's feeling that he needs to fight and earn his son's respect, which you find out at the end of the film, he didn't really have to do. Yeah. I like, like that. I like that part a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So those, like those type of things. And then coupled with the bigger reveal at the end, like I, I loved him. The whole way yeah. through, I was just like, because I didn't really see him as a villain. He was right. just a guy struggling and then making bad decisions and not being sympathetic to the consequences of those actions. And Right, right. Yeah, so that was kind of like my lens on him. 
you know, a bit. And, so. and, I, and, and I'd probably appreciate it more so too. Like, like, like you mentioned, like if we picked one or the other, like Cheetah or him, and it was just a movie about this guy, and we we're just like, you know what? Since we're not giving you Wonder Woman anyways, and we're toning down, let's just let's just <laughs> yeah. tone down the action, and let's just have a serious, not a serious movie, but a movie that really goes in depth on both Wonder Woman and Max, and we can really just spread the floor across the two of them. And it'll basically be just like Diana 84. And I would have been down with that, right? Because, I mean, like, I don't need super crazy high-tense action in all my superhero films. I mean, no. I, I love Winter Soldier, but really it's a political thriller first before it's, uh, you know, a QC or CQC uh, combat movie, right? So if we had something like that, then I could have really probably appreciate this film a lot more for that. Well, and because can... it tried throwing in so many things, it, it kind of took away from all characters. You can throw cannon fodder at Wonder Woman too, right? Like, he had all those the armies and that he was building yeah. up and everything and you can chuck all those guys. You don't, I don't think you necessarily need like to have that big golden thing at the end. You'd probably do, but I, there is ways around that. I think Definitely. with the character, Definitely. with the power set of, of Diane, even as you're like ratcheting that down, right? Like that is a way you professor exit, right? Yeah. You, have, you find a way to ratchet down her power set to make the combat seem more realistic for that individual. And mm. you have that mechanism built into the script already where her getting shot is actually has consequences. Right. And so there, there is stuff to do. Sonny man, Maxwell Lord. Yeah. And then, then we're going to kind of continue with you and we're going to bring in some more of the consequences of the wishing and, and Steve Trevor finding his way back into this film as a direct consequence of the MacGuffin and the circumstances surrounding that with Barbara and Maxwell Lord and him, him entering the fray here again into this film. Yeah. I'm um, sorry. Just to go back on something you guys were talking about with like the cannon fodder and like battling cheetah. Um, if you're watching this entire movie, like she never overtly attacks any human, you know, she never like um, punches anyone or like, um, you know, she, that, there's a reason why she lost her sword and she's going with the uh, golden lasso in this one. And even people that are like getting hurt, her first thing is to like protect them. You know, like you get to the car chase scene and she pulls out the steering wheel and says the brake still works. So um, if you had like an army of like regular humans, you know, it wouldn't have worked as good with. And then when you have the cheetah, she could battle the cheetah and you know, like, OK, they'll, she won't kill the cheetah. You know what I mean? Like this movie went out of its way to show that Wonder Woman doesn't kill uh, humans in in this. So um, I think that's kind of probably why the thinking of putting in Cheetah in this, as opposed to just having Maxwell Lord and a bunch of soldiers that you know would get killed. Because uh, in uh, in this one, in Patty's Wonder Woman, in her take on Wonder Woman, she's very um, nice you know, you know what i mean like she's not like aggressive she's she's not like uh batman and batman v superman if you will uh, yeah. you know they're definitely you can't accuse her of killing anyone in this one so but maybe um, you make that the stakes right in that she can't hurt anybody mm -hmm. and that's how maxwell lord gets or that's how he hurts her is by mm -hmm. putting People the cannon yeah people in harm's way or like just these armies in harm's way right because there's that great scene uh in the white house where mm -hmm. steve trevor gets that sword and she's like mm -hmm. you can't use that they don't know what they're doing yeah mm -hmm. and so she actually puts herself in harm's way to be able to take these guys out without That's them getting cool. hurt I like kind that. of thing 
So, yeah. And like, I think that's how you use the golden armor at the end too, in that she needs to use the golden armor to keep herself from getting hurt, not because it's a weapon. And so if you don't have Cheetah and you have Max with an army between himself and her, how does she get to him without hurting these guys? You have that armor and then she uses that to be able to get through them without doing uh, massive damage to them. Mm-hmm. And you have, there's all kinds of comic book movies where you have cannon fodder that are thrown in front of heroes that they just punch and kick and throw, right? Like she threw like four guys off a roof onto a car. Like they would have all died. <laughs> <laughs> they all survived. They were kicking. Um, you could have had like robots, I guess, or aliens, but I mean, yeah. it wouldn't have worked. Um, going back to Maxwell Lord. Yeah, I'm with you, Carlos. I thought he was dope as hell. Um, I, th- I really dug that it was just a guy trying to do well for his kid. Um, all of us being fathers, I think we can all relate to that. You know, he wasn't like some guy that was going after, you know, whatever. He's just like, I want to like my kid's life to be better than my life. And um, he, he changes his name. He was Maxwell Lorenzo. I can't remember what it was, uh, but he changed it to Maxwell Lord. And it's just like the, um, you know, the immigrant story of like trying to fit in totally. yeah. to, to North America, you know, U.S. or Canadian society. And, um, as a son of an immigrant, you know, I totally love that. Um, to me, it spoke to me and I thought it was really cool. And, um, as a father as well, you know, it's, it's who, you know, that's, that's, that's the whole reason why we go, go get up at six in the morning and we used to drag our asses downtown <laughs> is to make our lives better for the next generation. And so I really liked that that was kind of his motivations in this one. Yeah, it's, you know, again, this is why I love this podcast. It's a bit therapeutic at times, right? Is that you can put things on the table. And I hope this is what you guys, listeners, are getting out of this too, is that you take different perspectives from things and you spin that and it helps improve and maybe take away (laughs) a bit. And I hope we're not doing too much of that. But um, it's it's been kind of that thorough conversation that's got me thinking in different ways and wanting me to do another rewatch here. But we're kind of at that like halfway point through this movie, maybe a bit further on. So Steve Trevor, he he enters the fray here in a unique way, I will say. I was not <laughs> expecting the way that they're going to bring Chris Pine back, you know, 100 years out or whatever it is, from his appearance in Wonder Woman. And then he kind of just takes things in stride and we keep going. So Troy... You were a massive supporter of the chemistry between Chris Pine and Gal and the characters from One Woman One. Mm-hmm. Expand on that into One Woman 84 here with the revelation that we have Steve Trevor, I guess, in Soul, <laughs> back in, in the role. Chris Pine, for sure, again, playing because that's all she sees. And yeah. then moving and progressing up into some of these battle sequences we see as, as they kind of end up as this tandem that end up in Cairo as we get to our next major action sequence. We're an hour 20 into the film at this point by the time mm-hmm. we get to Cairo with Steve here and Wonder Woman. But uh, let, let's hear your thoughts on if that chemistry holds up in this and then where it goes into the battle sequence, our first major battle sequence post to this mall right. scene. Right, right, right. Yeah, well, you know, for me, um, 
his introduction was super bizarre, super weird. <laughs> don't understand the choice of him, uh, you know, possessing another man's body. I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense, especially in the lore that they've already established in this movie. Um, uh, I don't know why he would have to take over a body and why he just wouldn't be uh, brought back in his original body. So anyways, once getting over that, though, um, I love those two together. You know, comic book films, it's any film. Um, chemistry is important, mm -hmm. but especially a romantic relationship. Chemistry needs to be key. And in so many films, especially comic book films like Thor, we've seen in the past, um, the chemistry is just not all there. But I really feel like with Gal and Pine Man, it's it's awesome. It's magic. For me, it's it's the best parts it's of the real. movies. It's, it's real, man. <laughs> it's real but uh no i really i really do believe into the relationship and in some ways it saves the film for me at least to seeing those two um on screen i really did get a kick um at least leading up i got a kick into the um the invisible jet scene mm -hmm. um seeing those two once they're inside the jet that was pretty cool and it's something that we got in the trailer uh the last trailer i think and that trailer had some really cool music, man, going on, which was really, again, just let that chemistry on fire for me. Uh, there were some weird moments, though. It was, I think, actually the beginning of Chris Pine's introduction and the end of Chris Pine in this film. And it was the sound. The sound mixing is really, really bizarre in this film. Like, really, really bizarre. So, like, when we see Chris, I think it's the beginning, but when we see Chris take the body and he's trying to, like, shout at Diana, his 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 volume is really like mm -hmm. low and weird and i don't know what's going on and as a as an audience we're like what's going on like who is this guy because we don't see him as chris pine yet we just see him as this random dude um you know barking at, at diana <laughs> but then on his way out when it's like you have to take back your wish to make the world right this scene was really bad where like diana mm -hmm. and trevor were kissing in the corner i had to, i rewound it like three or four times it was so weird they're kissing in the corner and she walks away and she's about like two or three seconds away from him and you hear him say i'll always love you diana and it's it's like it's like really like drowned out he's off screen you don't even see him say it but you can hear him and oh. like she doesn't even notice mm -hmm. it, she just keeps walking. And I was like, "Wait, what was that? Like, yeah, that be okay?" It was it was so bizarre, and I had to be winded a couple times. I'm like, "That was a horrible choice." And then again, when we get to the invisible jet scene, it kind of sucks because I think we get like a really cool score, but then like there's like a chime that just hovers around too long. Maybe I'm nitpicking. I don't know, but it bothered the heck out of me. There's a, <laughs> there's a chime that just keeps ringing for a little too long, and it's going over the dialogue. And I've never like like listening to them talk but i'm like why is that chime still in the background like when is it going to end and then it just eventually cuts out but um it was your phone going off during the movie you're like why is there a phone ring going off? it felt like it man it felt like it. <laughs> it was it was really bizarre and then um you know again going to that visible jet scene man i think that's a missed opportunity i think that's really weird and how they introduced or explained diana's like invisible power that she once tried like a long time ago in a cup <laughs> and her, her 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 dad basically made like that mascara invisible itself and she's just now trying to do this power that whole thing i'm like honestly you guys just cut it out like we don't we don't need the invisible yeah. jet if you could like either give us some respect or don't disrespect it or just and have her say i've done this a million times exactly yeah like <laughs> look what i can do you know and i just thought that was really weird um it was is it is it, it, it sucks because it could have been either like a really cool moment to see that invisible jet in nighttime but it wasn't because we're just looking essentially at like a sky with like some weird waves that are like like a body of a jet that's invisible. 
and we're seeing like some cool fireworks, but it's just like, what am I looking at right now? Like, what is there to really appreciate? It's an invisible jet. It's just like Wolverine's costume. Sometimes things just don't translate well off the comic pages that we don't need on the big screen, man. And that, uh, that didn't work for me. But um, anyways, like I, like I mentioned, the highlight for me was definitely their chemistry. Cause I feel like Gal Gadot's improved. She's improved a lot, actually coming from fast and the furious, but um, pine for me, man, those two just, they just, they just elevate it. They elevate it for me. Yeah. And, yeah. and I like all your thoughts on the bizarreness. Like I found myself and maybe it's, it's meant this way. You're a bit struck by who's this dude. Yeah. And this kind of immediate it's Steve. And I get it. Like it's, you have to go at some pace with all this and there has to be some believability to it all. And I do like Chris's Chris Pines and I always like the fish out of water, right? I'm a big cap yeah. guy, right? I like them walking around and, and looking at the garbage can and the, even the trying on the clothes sequences, maybe it's a bit long, but there's yeah. some fun in there. And I felt like Chris brought some levity to, to some of the scenes that I think was very much needed because you're missing like Eddie Candy did a lot of that and Pine yeah. and the, the Warriors three or Howling Commandos, whatever you want to call them, did that as well. Mm-hmm. And it brings like an extra layer of, of, like I said, levity to it. And I, I really crisp. I like them both. I like when they're together and, yeah. and I, the invisible jets thing, like I said, my only nitpick is, is that exact thing. It's like, it's just a power of convenience again. Yeah. And it's kind of a nice nod to the greater comic book lore of wonder woman. And I'm okay that they did it, but it's just sometimes it's just easier just to acknowledge and just say, hey, I this check out this new trick that I learned yeah. in the last 80 years. <laughs> right. And I, I agree that the, the bizarreness of, of him being in another man's body and that like for all the wishes that are granted later on in the film, it just like literally nuclear missiles show up out of nowhere. Yeah. Why can't his body like it, it just seemed like an odd way to go around it and to just overtly say, Hey, it's not actually him. It's, it's yeah. his essence, his soul or whatever is now in this man. Sure. Like, yeah, it's almost like they're playing around with the rules from the start. Yeah. Like of the wish stone. And then they kind of yeah. tried changing it later on. Like they almost tried yeah. having like some realism. Yeah. And then after like, no, screw it. Let's just, let's just make it happen. Well, it's like, you and know? then like the next scene, you got these like giant walls appearing out of the earth. Yeah. That, like seal off parts of, of Egypt or Cairo or whatever. Yeah. And it just, yeah, I agree. It's just almost like they said, here's the rule we're going to do with this is that he can only come back in this way, but then they kind of just let it go. And I don't know, Carlos, man, bring some some voice to this. And and then also with the C. Trevor, bring in our next and comment around our next big action set piece here in Cairo where we do have the presence of, of Steve Trevor and him aiding Diana in, in this fight against the, the cannon fodder, if you will. Yeah, man, like... I have a hard time with this one because like Troy said, like they're just such magic together Mm -hmm. um, and they have such compelling chemistry. And like the first time I saw it, it was just a bit awkward. The whole Steve inhabiting somebody else's body, but I love some of the things they had, like where he alludes to the fact that he was in heaven before and then he left and he's like, yeah, you know, it was good, but now I'm here. I woke up on this guy's futon but then as the movie goes on, I'm thinking, like, Diana really wants him to stay and is willing to do anything to make sure that he stays. What about the architect guy? Like, she's just happy to sacrifice him to Steve because Steve's in his body, but mm-hmm. his consciousness is not there. So then I'm like, well, yeah, why didn't you just bring Steve back? Because that's the wish stone or have something where he replaces that guy. 
like that guy's nowhere to be found and he, Steve wakes up in his apartment and mm. they maybe come to the realization that the two of them has sacrificed that guy. Yeah. And right. just she's yeah. got to make it's a like body for a body type thing. Yeah. Add more yeah. weight to it, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's got to make a moral choice, but they, they don't play with that at all with no. this thing and they kind of put her in a position where it's just like well i have to do this because the world is falling apart mm-hmm. and it, and i think part of the issue with the whole dreamstone wishmaster thing is that people don't know th- what they're giving up or what the consequence is like in superman 2 you kind of have the same thing play out mm-hmm. but he knows it's the choice between the world having superman or clark kent having lois lane and and they kind of play with the same trope. Whereas in this, it's like, we want to do that, but we're not going to do it properly. And so we'll just kind of wing it. Like kind of like what Troy said, they were kind of making up the rules as it went along. <laughs> but they, ha- so they have a built-in mechanism for this and, and that's not living a lie. Like, and he says it, We I lived my life. We lived our life together or whatever it was, right? Yeah. And that that to me is, that plays into it. Like what you're saying about, you know, taking this guy's spot or whatever. But there's also this thing like I've already lived this life or what life I need yep. to live. I can't live a lie. I can't live a dishonest life and have another shot with Steve. My, like I had it, it's gone. Mm-hmm. And you build that into it. And that, that ties back to the mascara and that ties back into the, the lies and all this stuff. Right. Like there's, but she never comes to that realization. No. It's Steve Trevor basically like, saying like, look, I'm done with this drama. I need to go back to heaven. Yeah. Let this poor architect guy go. He had some fun on my card, but it's time to go. Yeah. Like she never comes to that realization. She's never the one to say like, "I have to let you go." He's like, "Sorry, I I, I got a jet." Like was, becoming... was Steve Trevor actually in heaven, or maybe he was in Earth too? Right? Like the, he said, "I was someplace. I don't know where." Maybe he was like stored away someplace else. You know, maybe. But that's the reason why he couldn't come no, back. No, he said it was good, and Earth Two is not good. So, <laughs> but he's Earth Three then. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I I don't know. Like, it was okay. And then like the invisible jet thing, the part for with it for me, it's like you, it, it's where you're spending your time, and you spend all this time with them going to this hangar and the Great Escape, and her having to on the fly turn the jet invisible so that they can get away from not only launch, but get away from radar. And it's just like, well, why is there a fueled up, ready to go (laughs) fighter jet at the Smithsonian? And how does this World War One flying ace know how to fly it? (laughs) Like, you know, you just, you come to the same spot and maybe she just has it. And it's like, maybe he's pining over which plane to pick. And she's like, none of those. It's this one over here. You can't see it because it's invisible, but she's storing it there. Diana, how did you do this? I I, I did dig the explanation as to her using Zeus's mm-hmm. magic for Themyscira, but it didn't need to be a whole thing. Like she didn't need to try and do it on the fly in the coffee cups and blah 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 blah. Just it's there, it's hidden. Just take off. She flies it, and he maybe she gives him the reins, and you mm-hmm. can still have the that moment the yeah moments in the sky with the fireworks and stuff but it's just like there's so many times in this movie is this like i get you wanted to do this but just because you could doesn't mean that you should mm-hmm. like patty should have taken that lesson from the dreamstone and been like 
I know I want to do this, but there's a consequence for doing mm-hmm. this. <laughs> I think there was. I think there was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and this leads us to Cairo. And it leads Sorry, us... man, I was supposed to. No, get it's it's all good. We're gonna we're gonna get there, guys. We're gonna get there. And Sonny's got to bring his 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 thoughts here on Chris Pine. But I want him to frame out a bit more of this action set piece that we get here. And I know everyone wants to go back to this the Steve Trevor thing, and I want to keep talking about it too because it it is again. Like I said this before. Everything feels a bit clunky. It just feels like it's falling on itself, stepping on its own toes as it goes. And and it and it holds up the the story right. There's a, there's things you could be doing and building and like as we progress over to Cairo, again this is another scene that I get the point of it, and it's to get an action set piece, but it just feels over the top again. Like let's go to the Middle East. That's where all the oil is. We're gonna go there. We're gonna try to make a deal. And and this is where I get confused as to what is happening. Like this guy wishes to have his ancestral lands back. But then what was, what was Maxwell going to get out of this? I guess the oil. And then he's like, Oh, you, it just, it just falls over itself again and again and again. Well, yeah. Cause he says, I'm taking your oil. And then he's like, well, no, I gave my oil away. So he's like, I'm taking your security force. And then, yeah, these walls go up, but it's like, he, but he's choosing what the consequences. And I didn't like, to me, it should be more like of a natural thing. Like, like he he said it's your most prized possession is what goes right and mm. for the the guy in cairo it's it's was meant to be the oil but then it switches on the fly to security i guess i'm not sure i don't know like mm-hmm. so sunny what's your, what's your thoughts on on cairo and and bring some of your context of, of steve trevor into it of course but this uh-huh. is like this first action set piece here that we do have wonder woman in we saw a lot of this in the trailer and mm-hmm. and we do see Chris Pine play an active role, or Steve Trevor play an active role in this set piece. Yeah, man, I thought this one was cool. Um, you're going in and like the the car chase in in the um, Cairo or wherever it was, um, and then this is where you find out that she's kind of losing her powers. You know, the um, Superman two or Spider Man two thing where um, bullets actually hurt her on this, so she's kind of you know she's not in vulnerable like she used to be so but she's still like um not killing people you know what i mean like this is the scene where she rips off the steering wheel and says the brakes still work um and this is where she tries to like she saves um those children uh on that were playing on the road um so for me like i, I thought this i thought this was a cool scene um the standout for me was when she's in between the two cars mm-hmm. and she's like pushing against it and you can see like her body's like cut, like her um, arm is cut from the uh, the bullet or whatnot. And I, I kind of dug it. Um, and in regards to Steve Trevor, I, I thought uh, I thought his um, comeback was a little little quick. Um, you know, it just kind of happened. But I thought like his ending, man, I, I bought his ending. I thought it was emotional. Like when mm, when he's yes. saying goodbye yeah. again, like I thought the ending was strong. And I kind of liked him being like, uh, you know, the fish out of water. Um, and it was just kind of cool. Cause he's like, Oh, what's that? And they're like, we have so much to tell you. And they go see, uh, the spaceship of how they landed on the moon and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Or just, um, you know, I, I thought that was cool. How did he know how to fly a plane? I don't know. Maybe he's, uh, has a meta gene where he can fly a lot. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> it's like forge. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's his powers. I'm not. I'm not quite sure. Uh, I I agree with you. I do like um, the uh, using Zeus's magic to hide the invisible plane. I thought that was a cool. Like it made sense how like you know she's really embracing being the daughter of Zeus, and that comes in handy later on in the movie. So um, I, I dug that uh, how she turned invisible, and um, maybe we'll see it again. Maybe not. We'll see. Um, she didn't turn anything else invisible, but you know, she she was working under pressure, so she 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 figured it out. <laughs> yeah, and you know, as we get towards the back half into the third act of this film, we really ratchet up the action. You know, Sanjay, you're talking about this bigger set piece in Cairo. Now, Troy, I want you to contrast our two back-to-back action set pieces here. We have this big Cairo piece. And then we have somewhat of a bit more intimate White House fight scene. I, I quite like the White House fight scene, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. So we get Barbara coming back in in a big way in a more of a villainous role, the hand-to-hand combat. She's not yet the cheetah. She is a a one-woman equivalent in some contexts. And she puts up a really good fight here. And you got some a bit of cannon fodder in there as well. I, I like this White House scene. This is probably my favorite fight scene in the film. Um, what are your thoughts on these two back-to-back big action sequences we got here? Yeah, the Cairo one was um, <clears throat> was pretty cool, but I guess we, we've seen so much of it in the trailer. So um, I guess in some ways the trailer looked better because I actually did get to see that was um, on the big screen at the time. <laughs> so um, as opposed to the smaller one. But it, no, it was cool. It was... Um, it was neat actually seeing Steve Trevor. Actually, he had a pretty decent role in that too, more than I thought he would. Yeah. And it was kind of cool seeing Diana. Like I think Sunny mentioned that her being like depowered and weakened, she was still trying to like save everybody at the same time. And uh, yeah, so that stuff was pretty cool. The one thing that bothered me was just a weird choice of like when she saved the kids. They're on this huge desert, like it's massive, and anywhere they could be playing soccer, they're playing on the road, <laughs> the highway. <laughs> And, and their parents are right there. I mean, that just, really hot asphalt too. Yeah, I was like <laughs> really like like yeah. I guess enough said on that one. But um, the White House scene, yeah, I probably agree with you. I think it's the best uh, like fight scene in the film by far. Uh, that was really really cool. I, I think it just it felt a little more tight, and I don't know if it's because they're like in a corridor mm. or whatnot, but it, things just felt more grounded a little bit, but still pretty cool and pretty flashy, and um. Yeah, yeah, because we see Steve, Steve Trevor kind of hold it down a little bit too, fighting those guys. So all that stuff was pretty dope. That worked for me. Yeah, that's definitely the best one because we get later on to like the blackout, turn all of the lights off scene mm-hmm. when she's fighting uh, <laughs> Cheetah or whatever yeah. that is. It, but uh, yeah, no, I agree. The, the White House scene probably worked the best for me. Yeah, and it's, I find the most effective use of the perpetual slow motion as well. Yeah, um, man. Which yeah. I've, I've, to be honest with you, grown a little tired of. But Big they they do the right things in this. And with her ratcheted down power set too, it, it shows some of that vulnerability in Wonder Woman as well, which I really like. Um, that she doesn't easily tie this up. Like she is, is having a difficult time with Barbara and yeah. kind of getting bashed around a bit. And and Chris Pine I like too is he's getting kind of knocked around. Like it's it's yeah. a good fight scene. And we saw a lot of it in the trailer you mm-hmm. see, I think in here is the best lasso work as well. Lasso, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think it's because it's tight, like you said. It's tight quarters. Yeah. I don't, I'm don't. i not a big fan of like the big, huge, whipping around Spider-Man-esque stuff. 
I like that closed quarter stuff that we do see in the White House here in that hallway where she's spinning it and the bullets mm-hmm. are ricocheting off it and she's using that to it's a real great effect. Yeah. And, uh, and Barbara's intimidating. She felt yeah. pretty intimidating. This it time it worked. The most. It yeah. worked for yeah. me here. And that, that goes a bit to what we were discussing before about her transition, right? Um, yeah. It's a bit slower. So once we get to this point, it, it's impactful in this scene on the damage she's doing. And again, it helps having that mechanism in place where Diana's power, Wonder Woman's power set is ratcheted back a bit. Um, and so you're not directly contrasting your Wonder Woman power set to a a Barbara power set that has no background in, in fighting, right? Right. And so that works for me, and it, it, it's good. Carlos, your thoughts on these two back-to-back pieces? They were cool. Like, uh, I'll give them props, like, despite seeing as much of it as we did in the trailers. Like, the vehicle combat scene mm-hmm. was super inventive, and, like, Sanjay really highlighted the fact that she's trying to overcome this obstacle without hurting anybody really added to the stakes and being depowered in that. Uh, and then the return to the white house. Yeah. Like you guys said, by far the best action scene, like um, Kristen Wiig comes off absolutely mm. intimidating. And this was some of gal's best acting in the movie as well. Like the end of this sequence and then dovetailing into the, the final goodbye with Steve Trevor to be honest, my problem with it is why did it have to be in the White House? Yeah. Like, y- you go all the way to the Middle East, then you come back for your meeting with Sanjay, and then you're in the White House. I Like, I think the back half of the movie, if you had let it play out overseas, if you're insistent on going to the Middle East for that scene, um, you just have it all happen there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this was another kind of pacing and editing thing. So I found that a bit weird. And then the fact that she has to sneak into the White House that really felt like just an excuse for her to have to go into her monitor room there. Yeah. I don't know. It just like that whole transition seemed clunky. Whereas if you're just pursuing Maxwell Lord in the Middle East, it's just cleaner to have you both kind of over there Mm -hmm. the whole time. But um, for what they did with the choice they made, yeah, that White House scene is definitely the showcase of the movie i would think yeah um well yeah and and like you said they do bounce around a lot at the end of this film is you know we're in the middle east and we're back in the white house and then we're on this random island or whatever it is the radar mm -hmm. island where we kind of get towards our our final fight sequence but before we get there there's a real significant moment here in the film we do have like you guys mentioned we have our departure and the renouncing of her wish to have steve back but this leads her to do a bit of a ride in the lightning and the first flight of Wonder Woman in the DC Extended Universe. Now, Sonny, we, we had a little debate. I thought they underlaid this with some Man of Steel score, mm-hmm. and I was wrong. And it was Zimmer pulling up um, – what's his name? can't remember. the, the It's a very – it's used in a Days of the Future Past, and they've used it elsewhere. Mm-hmm the score so it's it's quite recognizable but i i really like that that really stuck out to me as a score and how she transitioned into into flight again i found that some of it i still got that wire-esque feeling to it um but once she flies i find it, it's pretty cool i, I like that mm-hmm. they kind of, i didn't think that they were going to go there to be honest with you i was a bit shocked when she started flying but i liked it you know it's part of the character and i'm not super versed in the comic book version of this character but 
I did like the transition into there and kind of using that motivation of losing Steve to, to up her power set and up her game to the point where she's flying. So like as someone that's, that's read quite a bit of Wonder Woman comic books and, and seeing her transition from the Wonder Woman who can't fly to now Wonder Woman that has that ability. Um, what, what's your takeaway from that? Yeah, man, I'm right there with you. I thought it was a standout scene for me. I, it was something I wasn't expecting. Um, I didn't know that she was going to fly in the movie. I knew she was going to ride the lightning. We saw those um, Zeus's powers coming back to help her. Um, and uh, I, I really dug it. Like I thought it was an emotional scene uh, overlaid with uh, the voice of Chris Pine in her head. You know, it brought back memories of first flight from Man of Steel. Um, and to a lesser degree, uh, Shazam when he learns to fly as well uh troy's favorite movie <laughs> and uh so for me like the flying scene i'm a sucker for dc superheroes flying we just got to get batman some wings and uh aquaman can fly too i don't know <laughs> but uh I-, I really dug it man i thought it was cool i thought it was cool and uh yeah the score was tremendous um you know i think it was also in the movie sunshine which i know yeah. you're a big fan of yeah. you love that movie here so um i thought it was cool and i thought it was kind of like steve's second death or you know his you know disappearance or his leaving that kind of spurned it on and mm-hmm. she learns her new powers yeah troy first slide of 101 does it work for you man uh no uh the score does <laughs> the score the score is awesome um yeah i didn't do anything man when you when you look at uh man of steel oh, when man of steel learns how to fly when when tony stark's out there iron man one and he's flying uh spider-man one amazing spider-man when he's in the warehouse skateboarding, learning how to web swing. Spider-Man one when he's chasing the bad guys. Webs- All those moments to me were like incredible, incredible. And here we are, like we got Wonder Woman, like she's gonna fly and and it just um it it didn't do anything. I, I know what they're going for. I totally get it, but it just it didn't work for me. I get the whole like she spent time with Steve and he knew how to fly and he's hearing her and so now she just learns how to fly. But it, it didn't work for me. Uh, n- neither did like riding like the lightning web swinging, but that's been an issue I had since like the first trailer. So I can't really blame the movie now for just doing what was already shown in the trailer. But uh, yeah, man, it's, it's a pass for me. <laughs> <laughs> Carlos, what side of the, the fence do you sit on this one? Uh, I like it, but why? Like why at that moment in time? Because you could. Uh, yeah. It just, like to tick the boxes like it was kind of getting aquaman for me at that point in time it's like invisible jet check mm-hmm. learn to fly check like i really like the web slinging hulk jumping place to place kind of thing that they did and i think if they had built up to the flight more sure but then like why like why where are you going like what are you what are you doing like do you need to fly to get to the island well, no. So then you're traveling for a really long time, but you only live three blocks away from the White House. So how long are you up in the air for? Like, I just, yeah, it was awesome. It was cool to see, not... but did nothing for the story. <laughs> <laughs> like so many things. <laughs> well, and I think it goes to your, your point a bit about, you know, are we into to box sticking? Because when we get to this last scene and we're all going to take a stab at, at basically the end of the film here, because it kind of, to me, it, it rapidly gets to a point and then the armor comes in, which we're sort of teased on um, for a brief moment. And then I find the film itself ends on a weird note. And I don't know if it's because I have one viewing, but 
I find my myself once we get to to Maxwell Lord in the beam and the transmission and all it like it felt a lot like X Meny kind of, mm-hmm. and you have this this transmission going on, and then she's talking and talking and talking with. Uh, I, I, honest to God, at the end of this movie, I was just like, what did she say? And what, like, what, where did this go? And how does this have any relevance to every, like, there was just way too much ex- exposition at the end of the film. Like, that's I, the beauty of putting it on streaming, because then you can turn subtitles on. I guess, like, I just, I was so lost by the time I got to her sitting in that corner with the lasso around his ankle. I, I just did not know what happened and then he kind of just takes off like jim carrey and batman forever right is harold wild and just about to run through that window just to bring it back to that view girls um <laughs> not to mention like the the cheetah and that fight scene again i guess it had to happen because they built to that but that's something you can use in three that's something you can push and it's cool to see the armor and all that but ultimately you got a whole bunch of threads trying to to be tied up in a nice little bow by the end of this film and the ending just fell flat for me it just didn't didn't work like there's a lot of shining moments as we get towards this but i just found myself sitting there being like i don't fully get what happened and troy i love your smile right now and i got to hear what you have to say about my comments here. I don't know what side of the fence it's gonna land. I have a feeling, <laughs> but let, let, let's have them. Yeah, no, not, nothing crazy for me, man. But it was, it, you know, when you put it the way you put it, it, I couldn't help but laugh. But believe it or not, when I was watching it, I definitely wasn't laughing. Definitely <laughs> wasn't laughing at all at the scene. It was, um, well, where do I start, man? Okay, so the fight, um, the midnight fight between mm-hmm. Wonder Woman and Cheetah. Man, I was having a hard time trying to focus in on Cheetah's face because, <clears throat> sorry, I was really trying to like digest what I'm seeing. And I just, I couldn't make it out. Even like on a shot that would kind of pause on her face, I felt like it's kind of blurry. Like the CGI was just really weird. Not on her body, not on like her mocap, how she was moving, but just the face. It felt like they didn't know exactly what they were trying to do with the style of her face. So that was kind of, kind of weird. But you know what? When they went underwater and they were going at it, I kind of liked that part. Mm -hmm. I thought it was kind of cool. And I might be the bad guy here, but I was actually kind of rooting when I thought Wonder Woman was going in for the kill. I was kind of like, man this is this is cool like she's just gonna end it right here and um she didn't i guess she, she couldn't get electrocuted so she made it out of the fight all right but um then we get to the final big bad and it, it was messy it was messy man it it wasn't clunky as mcclunky as, as stars <laughs> stars would say it was um it was weird man um I appreciate what they were trying to do. I really do. Like they weren't just trying to end all problems with this her like kicking butt and beating up uh big old mm-hmm. max there so I really do like that. Um, but this whole notion of just like her talking to him and then he's like connected to the satellites or whatever. And it's, it's all connected to everybody. So everybody can hear the message. I just had a hard time believing that the world was saved because and, and, and maybe it's just I don't know where we live in now. I don't know. But I was just having a hard time believing that everybody and their dog. No. Renounced their wishes. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Like, I, I, I don't see Cheetah at all um bringing back that wish i don't see anybody that's lost i don't see anybody that's lost like a loved one bringing back like their husband or their wife or their kid once they got their kid back like it was just really hard for me to believe like that's what saved the day um 
it's hopeful. It's cool. I, and, I, and I totally get that. But again, like this movie kind of walks like this fine line of like cheesiness and a little bit more cheesy, actually, um, than anything. So for me, man, yeah, it was, it was weird. And, and then you nailed it, too. Like Max just kind of leaves like the Jim Carrey way and runs out there and just just goes about his Even way. His, his run was goofy. I'm like, does There's he really run goofy. like that in The kid? Mandalorian? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that must, <laughs> that must be the stunt guys that are doing all the running for that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think to me the the ending if it's more intimate it may work better but the scale of the ending like you're saying is just way too big you have a moment between maxwell and diana and they can connect in some fashion through past experiences if that was established and you have this moment where he realizes what's happening i can buy into that you could have a more intimate moment between the two of them but because it like it's it's funny because I'm also thinking Batman Forever. You got me thinking like the the Enigma machine or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, where you stick yeah, it yeah. on, it's going out. Like that's <laughs> when I now think of Batman Forever. I'm seeing the exact same thing as I'm seeing at the end of this film. It's my PTSD, man. <laughs> <laughs> Carlos, like continue on here. Like bring some thoughts to to the table here about how this movie wraps up, both with the fight scene with Cheetah and also with Maxwell Lord here. To be honest, like this was a bit of the bigger turnaround for me with it. Um, the cheetah fight, like with bringing in the golden armor and the build up to it, the way the fight ultimately went off, you didn't feel like a fully powered up Diana actually needed it. Mm-hmm. So that that's kind of why I'm like, well, if the human army that he had there was, if it was more of a defensive thing. Sure, then you have more of a reason for her breaking it out so that she can get to Max without and hurting that anybody. that is established as a defense. Like, that's the way it was framed. Like she defended, right? Yeah, but they did nothing with it. Like, nothing that she did in that moment, she couldn't have done just as regular Wonder Woman kind of thing, right? Uh, as far as Cheetah goes, I like the fight. I actually like the look of her, how they had that kind of hybrid practical effects, CGI, makeup effects kind of thing going on with her. But yeah, definitely needed to show it off a little bit more and to have a bit more... The fight needed to be a bit longer and not because I needed to see fisticuffs. Like, that's cool. But you needed to also establish where Barbara was at at that point in time Mm -hmm. and what her goal is at this juncture of the movie. Um she feels kind of like just like the final punch up so that you can get to Maxwell Lord as opposed to a piece of the movie that you've established and now you need to resolve. Uh, As far as Maxwell Lord goes, I actually really liked that. Like any other superhero movie, it ends with super powered Wonder Woman in the golden armor, throwing Cheetah through the building and it knocks over all the satellite equipment Mm -hmm. and Maxwell Lord and, everything's back to normal kind of thing, right? So I love the fact that Wonder Woman saves the day with truth and love. And that, so they establish in the movie that the last two of truth allows people to see the truth. Mm-hmm. And so then on the TV screens that Maxwell Lord is using, they have like the lasso on there with like the, mm-hmm. the yeah. gold shining through. And then she's forcing him to see the truth and confront why he's doing and how far things have gone and then causing people to 
realize that their selfishness is harming the world. And so I, I really love that. And I love the fact that that's how she wins the day is through love. However, to your point, they took this thing way too big. Like if they had just kind of built on that little scene where when Max is first trying to establish like how many people he can reach and he's talking to that televangelist and he's saying like, could your congregation just hold hands instead of saying, I pray, I wish. Like maybe you do it on a smaller scale where he's at some kind of rally or at like one of those TV church things, right? And there's Mm -hmm. a few hundred people or a couple thousand people and Diana's in this struggle with them. But to have it on like this massive worldwide worldwide scale and there's missiles flying and there's like (laughs) guys wishing for missiles and then not wanting missiles and then people wishing their spouse dead and the dropping dead and other people want to be rich and other people want to be famous and you're all over the world and it was just too much it was just too much to be able to sell what you're doing i think if you do it on a smaller scale like it fits the story better it lets that message be clear as to what's happening because like both of you guys are like what what's going on there's so much and blue well, lights and yelling and <laughs> and they play into the cold war bit right at the end like that's the only time they leverage the 80s like yeah and why bother yeah like, exactly why, bother? why, like, why? The, you don't even need the, the all the nukes flying at each other right the visit to reagan and then he's just like oh wait what's this over here oh it's this massive satellite and that particles felt- <laughs> particles touch people like what seriously come on that was like so convenient what is this <laughs> oh the exact mechanism of my need. <laughs> like yeah Sonny, help us out here man and end of the movie end of the movie yeah man um the fight with barbara you know i wish it was a little bit longer um but if you see at the end of the film when everyone's renouncing their wish barbara never does um so i'm hoping she comes back for the third one there um because you know at the end when maxwell lord this is my understanding of the film now it could be different but when maxwell lord renounces his wish all the people that wished upon him then those wishes get revoked so it goes back to like at that point mm-hmm. in time so cheetah had wished prior to that to um you know be more like diana so i'm thinking um she never renounces it so i'm thinking you know what maybe she makes an appearance in the third one um, I did like her look. I thought it was cool. I'd like to see it a little bit more. I think they were just a little bit shy of showing it off, especially they don't want that Cats comparison. You know, with that film coming out, people would have, if it was bad, people would have ragged on it um, forever. Um, and I know like people are saying like, well, um, you know, if, if you had, like I know Troy brings up a good point, if you had a loved one who passed away and you wished them back, who would renounce that wish, right? But but I'm saying it's like the old um, Pet Cemetery thing. It's like there's always a twist to it. At the end of Pet Cemetery, you know, I, spoilers for Pet Cemetery if you haven't seen it. But it's like a 40 year old movie, and it's a book that's 40 years old. Um, but the guy brings his son back, but you know his son's back in body, but not in spirit. Um, and so at the end of the day, in Pet Cemetery, you know he has to kill his son, pretty much. And that's that's kind of what the thing is, is with this is like the person comes back, but they're not they probably won't be the same person because there's always a catch to every wish, you know. Um, and I think that's kind of what they were saying um, with it. And I, and I agree with you, Carlos, how this was like the superhero film where they didn't solve the day with 
fists and swords where she solved the day with words and the lasso of truth. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and she's done that in the comics before. Um, I think it was like in George Perez's run, she saves the day with um, fighting Ares, the God of war with words and showing him like a future of him taking over and everyone killing themselves. So very reminiscent of that um, with this film. So I really dug that. Um, the ending, you know, I, we'll get to the post credit scene, if you will. Um, but I really dug, like, the climax of the film. And then the scene after, shot at, shot around Christmas time, um, where she sees the architect or the guy that was <laughs> Steve Trevor's body. And she was just talking with him. And then, um, you know, I, I love that because I love superhero films around Christmas time. And now this completes my DC trilogy with <laughs> Batman Returns and Shazam. So I can... Uh, I can put these three on and have a pretty wacky and wild trilogy of films to watch around Christmas time every year. And then, yeah, you get that, like you said, the end credit scene where they get Asteria and Linda Carter making a nice cameo in here, which was, was, which, which was fine. Right. It was, it felt yeah. like one of those, you know, we're going to acknowledge Linda Carter. We're going to give her the props that, that she deserves. And, you know, we had her at DC fandom and it kind of makes a bit more sense and all that, how they, yeah, they brought this full circle, and so I, I did quite like that. It was it was kind of cool. She has to be on screen on the third one with Gal. She has to be brought back. This can't just be like a wink and a nod. Uh, Linda Carter's a national treasure, and um, we got to get her more, at least one scene of her and Gal back-to-back in costume because that would just be so cool. <laughs> End credit scene, right? That's a, the Marvel way, if you will. No, <laughs> let, let, Let's wrap this one up, guys. It... It was our, our first big movie review of of 2020-2021, if <laughs> we want to call it that. And, you know, I, I never want these reviews to be taken as as we're being overly negative of that. We, we frame up these films in a way that is fair across the board, as least, at least we believe it that way. And we highlight the things that, that really stand out, but... We also are able to, from our background in, in film watching and comic book reading, put a critical eye to these things. So in no way is this ever meant to be negative or tearing down a film or people's work or efforts that they've put into this. It is just us looking at this with a different set of goggles on. I think ultimately we all enjoy this film in some capacity as an entertainment perspective or from an entertainment perspective. Um, but ultimately there are, there are holes in here and there's holes in every film. And at times we, we have those goggles on to, to highlight some of those. And so um, let, let's wrap this thing up with our, our overall rankings. And I'll, and I'll start first here, guys. It's going to be interesting going around the horn. And we're doing our letters here and, and our final thoughts. So I'm going to score this with a B minus is where I'm sitting on this one. Um, I think that there's a good story in here. I just think that the film isn't as tight as it could be. They take some liberties I think with maybe some of the freedoms they had with the storytelling and I just found that the overall narrative isn't overly economic and it doesn't hit the beats I don't think that it needs to to be considered a tight holistic story it feels a bit haphazard at times and a bit clunky I think is the word that I've used quite frequently throughout this Pine and Gadot are great together I love seeing Wonder Woman the times that she is on the screen. And I think there's a high point there with both Pedro and and Barbara, uh, Kristen Wiggs, acting and what they do with the characters that they are given. 
And so, yeah, that's where it sits for me, guys. B minus. I'm looking forward to the third film. I'm hoping they can tighten up the story a little bit. But overall, that's where it's sitting for me. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Sonny. Yeah, man. Uh, for me, I would say I really enjoyed this film. Um, I, I thought the message was great, especially for 2020 and the year we just had. Um, optimism and um, hope, maybe out of fashion. But um, some, you know, I think it's a tried and true um, characteristic. So, or moral of the story. So I, I dug it. Um, was it perfect? No. Was it as good as the first one? No. But it had such high expectations that no matter what came out, it would almost guaranteed not to be as good as the first one. Um, on its own, I think this is a really fun superhero film, really fun comic book film, and um, I think it fits in cool with the DCEU. Um, I like that they kind of kept some of that continuity going through with Diana not really being seen. And, you know, I thought all the actors and actresses did a great job. Uh, where this film kind of falters for me is the script. Uh, I think they could, as you mentioned, tighten it up. One of the writers of the first one, Alan Heinberg, wasn't uh, brought in for this one. And I think he just tremendously gets the character. I believe he wrote some comics. Um, he's also a writer for Sex and the City. And he uh, he, he did the episode where Carrie Date's a comic book guy. So I had to get that in there. But uh, I think he is a tremendous writer. And I would love for him to be back for the third. I would give this um, three and a half B and B pluses out of five. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I would give this uh, a B plus, a B plus. B plus. Okay. Troy, to you. Yeah, man. Um, what can I say? This film had about uh, two scenes that I really enjoyed. Um, the standouts for me easily was uh, was Chris Pine and Gal Gadot. I feel like she keeps owning this character more and more and keeps elevating it each time we see her on screen, whether it's in her own movies or Justice League or BVS. So um, hats off to her and Pine, man. Um the writing, the writing was was lacking for me, and even some of the visual cues were pretty off. Score was pretty cool, though. I really did enjoy the score. I um, do look forward to seeing Patty return, because every director, man, everybody has a bad day in the office, and this was hers, man. I mean, every, before <laughs> this film, I think she's been phenomenal, from Monster to her TV stuff to uh, the last Wonder Woman film. But this movie, she just didn't quite hit it for me. I'll give her praise when she makes a good movie, and I'll give her praise when she makes a bad movie, and that goes for any director out there. And this is one of them for me. Um, but I do look forward to seeing a Patty Jenkins trilogy, and I hope mm -hmm. she does come back for the next one. But I would like to hear uh, Sonny's boy there come back, that writer, or at least another writer, um, to uh, to really bring it home with the big three. Uh, I'm going to score this, man, a C+. Plus. C+. Plus. Okay, Carlos, man, take us home. Yeah, man. I I have a relationship with this movie that I do with another DCEU movie in which... It has really high highs and things that I absolutely love and some lows and some choices that I absolutely hate. And for me, this movie is the inverse of Batman versus Superman and what Zack Snyder did, where Zack Snyder spent so much time and focus and attention on the conceit of superheroes existing in the real world for me and my taste, he forgot what the characters are all about and what the fundamental core of that makes them great. With One Roman 84, Patty absolutely nailed each of the characters from Gal Gadot's One Roman, Chris Pine, Steve Trevor, Kristen Wiggs, Barbara Ann Minerva, and then 
creating the character for Pedro Pascal that took the place of Maxwell Lord. I loved every single one of the characters and there was so much care and time and attention that she gave to them that she kind of neglected to build a cohesive world and a set of rules for that world Mm -hmm. and how the pieces and the mechanics of this space that these characters inhabit work. And then it kind of fell prey to a bit of, uh, she got to do all the things she wanted to do, but I think that the movie suffered for that. And like we have a two and a half hour movie and we're sprinting to this finale. there's some choices to be made along the way. I love Patty. I have a Funko pop over upstairs. Love Gal. Can't wait to see their next venture together. Um, and you know what? Kudos to Warner Brothers for saying, we're going to let you make this movie. You get to make your shot. You do this movie the way you want to do it. And we're hands off. Uh, that's what happened. And and this is the movie that we got. You guys know my love of Wonder Woman. In 2020, I get two DC movies. Never in a month of Sundays would I have said, I'm going to leave 2020 enjoying Birds of Prey more than I enjoyed <laughs> Wonder Woman 1984. Um, yeah, man, I'm going to be sleeping on the couch, but this one's getting a C from C. Okay. <laughs> okay, there it is there across it is. the board. There's there all is. the ratings. Relatively similar in kind of a, a similar space. There's no massively huge divergence here but overall it's uh it's been a time guys another behemoth of an episode but it's our, our first review and it's a clocking in almost exactly at the same time as the movie runs so <laughs> we have a tendency Sorry. To, we have a tendency to do that guys we got a lot to get out here guys it's an exciting episode exciting time because it's our first comic book movie review or big one for almost a year last one we did was birds of prey uh, for a new film, which was March or whatever it was, April, um, that we did that in, and we had we had some thoughts here, guys. This was a a a more complex movie to review than I had anticipated walking into it, but I had a lot of fun talking about this, guys, and I hope you guys out there listening enjoyed as well. And if you've got comments or questions or or uh, a review you'd like to pass on, you can always hit us up at thenerdroom at gmail dot com. You can find everything that we do over thenerdroom dot net. You can find us on Twitter. Again, if you'd like to pass on comments through there, you can find our handles at the end of the episode. The hunt is real, and it's 2021, so we got to get into our 2021 hunt discussions. We're going to be jumping into that next week, and you can find everything about the hunt over at the over on Instagram at the NerdRM, of course. And next week, guys, we're going to be taking a further dip into 2021 as we prep for this next year in nerd we're going to be doing our most anticipated episode for 2021 where we're discussing everything we're looking forward to doing our nerdier resolutions for 2021 and getting ourselves ready for the high republic in star wars wandavision falcon of the winter soldier we've got so much to discuss here future state dc comics guys kicking off this week as well or last week i believe so there's i a mountain of nerd to get through next week in our 2021 most anticipated in nerd episodes so make sure to tune into that guys and with all that being said for the nerd room i'm tim i'm troy i'm sleeping on the couch <laughs> <laughs> <Not Sanjay. laughs> i'm really afraid now all right guys <laughs>
<laughs> have a good one be safe be kind and thank you very much for entering the nerd room this has been a nerd room podcast production you can find our hosts tim troy sanjay and carlos on twitter at the nerd rm troy the boy 87 sanjabi and cdn caped crusade r for more content from the nerd room check out the nerdroom.net and don't forget to subscribe to the nerd room on itunes podbean spotify wherever you plug in Use the hashtag WeTheNerd to keep up with the latest from the Nerd Room on Instagram and Twitter.